Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, the podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and when you're a podcast listener, you're a podcast listener all the way from your first podcast episode to your last dying day. Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. This podcast is brought to you entirely in Greaser Speak, Daddy O! <laughs> and Jeff Kanata. I just heard an intro from Davindra. <laughs> Davindra. Beautiful. Welcome to the show, everyone. Those are, of course, all references to the fact that later on today, we're going to be reviewing Steven Spielberg's newest film, West Side Story, along with film critic Caroline Sita. It's going to be a great conversation. Look forward to that. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. If you want to support this podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash filmpodcast to sign up for ad-free episodes and or exclusive After Darks. Today on the podcast, we got some what we've been watching for you and some weekly plugs before we get to our West Side Story review. A lot of stuff to get to because I don't know about you guys. I have been cramming. Yeah, man. to try to get stuff ready for our uh, best of 2021 list. So much Absolutely. pressure. So many yeah. things. Yeah. That time of the year. I Too many things. I'm going to go on a limb. I think this year is going to be probably our most diverse lists, is my guess. Like, I there's going to be most different. I can guarantee it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, last year was also really weird, right? So, yeah. But uh, yeah, I think this uh, this will be a pretty weird year. Okay. A uh, couple of other things I want to mention before we get into what I've been watching. Uh, first thing is that uh, on the After Dark, available at patreon.com slash film podcast, we are currently doing a Matrix retrospective. Today on this week's After Dark, we're going to be uh, discussing The Matrix Reloaded. Next week, uh, Revolutions in the lead up to The Matrix Resurrections as our main review. Uh, so be sure to sign up so you don't miss any of that conversation. Uh, at patreon.com slash film podcast. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is, I think it was... Less than two weeks ago that we talked about Cowboy Bebop, the extremely expensive, much-hyped Netflix original series. <laughs> um, Devendra gave a very thoughtful perspective on it on the podcast. And we learned this week that it has been canceled. Oh, no. That didn't take long. That's surprising. I'm, I'm, a couple of things I want to point out about this cancellation, right? Uh, first of all, I'm old enough to remember when <laughs> Netflix would say things like, Mm-hmm. Hey, it, we don't have conventional metrics like a TV station. Uh, all that matter—it doesn't matter whether you watch Cowboy Bebop on opening weekend or three years after you subscribe to Netflix. Uh, all that matters is you're getting value out of Netflix. We have a different model than all those old school TV networks out there. I think that was before they started spending hundreds of millions of dollars on shows. <laughs> I think that's probably right. And so, probably true. Over yeah. time, basically, Netflix has morphed into a conventional network where uh, they make. They're still taking big swings, but they're also acting decisively when something looks like it's not performing. Mm-hmm. And Even though they said this was performing really well, it was a trending show for that first weekend. It is. It is bizarre to me. I don't know what mm-hmm. the calculation was, Devin. Mm-hmm. You know, like well, you know, it was. It, it was in the top ten in the yeah, opening week, and yeah. then it plummeted in its second week. And I guess they're like they saw the writing on the wall. They're like, we're done with it. Which well, you can. Yeah, I'm sure ahead. they have so much more data than a traditional network yeah, would, in the yeah. sense that. They know exactly how many minutes you've watched. They know at what point people drop off. Like, did it may be yeah. that it was trending in the top ten because everybody tuned in, and then you know, yeah. twenty minutes in, people stopped watching. <laughs> like, you know, no, or, or you. one yeah. episode in, they stopped watching or whatever. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it could be. It, it, they they yeah. definitely know that people aren't clamoring for more of this one, yeah. right? If, I, if, I like to imagine that there is a massive like NASA mission control room <laughs> that's just like all the Netflix data up on there. And uh, then they started seeing the reviews of Cowboy Bebop. And it's like, oh no, the nerds are angry. 
And the nerd anger has taken over the entire social sentiment for this TV series. It's a, uh, we can't, we can't keep going abort abort. I think that, uh, Jeff, I think that's definitely a huge part of it. I think probably another part of it is that this was massively expensive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Even though it so, looks so cheap. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen the show, but it looks incredibly cheap. And then I keep hearing that it costs Netflix a lot. And I'm just confounded. They are, you know, they got to save money. They have to resurrect a Hemsworth for a, <laughs> a sequel to one of their movies. You know, that's not yeah. easy to do. Yeah. Listen. It just is so like, I guess I just felt like in this moment, uh, of watching this Cowboy Bebop thing get canceled, like uh, I remember, you know, when I was playing in pit orchestra in high school for a musical, and our our conductor gave us a speech. He's like, you know, we're about to open this musical, and very much like musicals, you know, or, or musicals on Broadway uh, would open, and then anywhere between two days and eleven years, you know, is how how long they would run. And I kind of felt that like this is a show they spent four years making and hyping and talking about. And then three weeks after its release, gone. You know, it's over. It's, and it's they they Netflix has given far worse shows more time. Like despite <laughs> it's true, this show breaking my heart. I did, I like I said it was like you weren't perfect, completely negative on it. You know, I you, said it was perfectly entertaining as a piece yeah. of science fiction. And compared to a lot of other Netflix shows, yeah, I'd rather watch this. And I thought like if they had like taken in the criticism and the things we were talking about, and you know kind of brought that into season two and maybe corrected things like there was potential to turn into a good show. So yeah, a shame. And it's also a shame for poor John Cho. Let me, <laughs> let me just talk about poor John Cho guys before searching. I did a, I did an in-person interview with John Cho about that movie. And uh, you know, he, he was an hour late. It looks like he just rolled out of bed and came to my interview. He's like, I, he looked done with this shit, this shit of acting back then. And then I was like, okay, towards the end, I was like, uh, thank you for Selfie, the ABC show, which I love very much. Uh, you could stream that on Hulu. And he was like, oh, he, he was he was glad to hear that somebody liked that show because it was canceled after one season. And he told me, I'm never doing TV again. Oh. And yeah, I feel like his heart is Pro- broken. Probably because it's so, it's so stressful. It, it requires a lot of work. Yep. And uh, and because it can get canceled easily, and then it's over, right? It, he and he also like got himself into super fit shape. Like he had oh, to basically yeah. he he has shirtless scenes in Cowboy Bebop, and dude is forty nine now, I believe. And it's just like you know, it takes a lot of extra work. And this was his last shot to do a big action star thing. So I yeah, I do kind of feel for him. I wish the yeah. show around him were better because he and the supporting cast were pretty great. Yeah. So I, I think. I wanted to mention it just because the speed of the cancellation was just astonishing to me. It's like, amazing. It just it, with less than three weeks after debut, yeah. it's it's canceled. You and know also, what isn't canceled though, and I want to tell everybody this: the original Cowboy Bebop, which is on <laughs> Netflix right now, and you should go watch it. What are you doing? No, you're your right, life? Dave. It's really sad that no one will ever be able to watch Cowboy Indeed. Bebop. Yes, find it's out sad. where no the series goes. Watch, no one will ever be able to see a better version of the live action Cowboy Bebop ever. It's really, ever. it's really a shame. Also. I think that uh, I saw a lot of people saying, oh, may- maybe they can take it to another network. That is not going to happen. Um, <laughs> no. I don't know if you guys know this, but Netflix doesn't let go of its toys, right? They, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's where places, other places go is Netflix. Yes. There's no, that's the final destination. That's the final destination. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no backup plan from Netflix, right? Because Netflix does not want to surrender its shows to other states. I, I, don't, I don't believe, actually, it has been done. 
a couple times. So I am mm-hmm. I am I'm exaggerating. Yeah, it was a uh, yeah, some, one day at a time. Some things. One day at a time. One day at a yeah. time. Has been all over the place. Yeah. But that is extremely unlikely that that some even yeah. when that happened it was considered like a miracle. Yeah. And so It's a far cheaper show. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it is it, so it's it, I I apologize, it's not impossible, um but I think it's very unlikely. Another interesting wrinkle about reading about this story is the fact that um this was written about at Hollywood Reporter. And Angie Han, former film cast guest, and also mine and Devendra's freshman year in college dorm mate, yeah, is Personal now friend. a TV yeah. critic at The Hollywood Reporter. The TV critic, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I was reading this Hollywood... And, you know, uh, longtime listeners of the film cast know that Angie Han is extremely talented and also quite vicious to me, David Chen, in general. <laughs> right? She knows how to like use those words as weapons, and I do enjoy seeing them. Whenever she's on the David podcast, yeah. it, she always just rips into me with ruthless abandon. And I was reading the the Cowboy Bebop story at Hollywood Reporter, and uh, they were saying, like, Cowboy Bebop star John Cho has three bounty hunters. Uh, they can only kick and quip their way out of so many scuffles before their past finally catch up with them. And then it says, the Hollywood Reporter's Angie Han wrote that Cowboy Bebop was faithful to a fault with leaden pacing. And the sharp anime visuals were reduced to muddy CG. The playful humor translated as phony laughter. The lived-in grittiness replaced with shoddy-looking sets. And that the remake seems to have yeah. no point at all. End stop it, stop it. It's already dead. It's already <laughs> dead. Her twisting of the knife belongs to the world now. It's yeah. formally something only the film cast people and Mashable no, folks you should, could No, you enjoy. should read her review because that is from her full review. Yeah, that's from her more, full review. But basically yeah. they quoted her and I was like, yeah. Jesus Christ, that's vicious. And also... Now the whole world can enjoy it, not just me, yes, not just yeah. not just me and the podcast listener. So, um, anyway, congrats, Angie, on the new gig, by the way. <laughs> uh, but that is what happened with Cowboy Bebop. Okay, let's get to what I've been watching, folks. Uh, let's talk about what is going on now. I, I, as I mentioned, we are cramming in a lot of stuff uh, these days, a lot of screenings, a lot of screener discs and links because. Uh, we, we just want to make, get everything in by the end of the year. G- guys, here's a question. I was talking on a Twitter space last night with Matt Neglia um, from the ne- the Best Picture Show podcast, I think. Um, and uh, he brought up a really good point that I didn't even think about, uh, which is that, uh, if you guys recall, like award shows delayed their eligibility last year. And, right, right, right. And so they're not counting in their awards this year, movies like, for instance, Judas and the Black Messiah, right? Hmm. Which came out in February of 2020. I'm sorry, 2021. That's impossible. That couldn't have happened in February of this year. I think we should still stick to 2021 because we, we, we didn't, we didn't delay our top, you know, movies. (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're not running on their schedules. Yeah. (laughs) We're not running on their schedule, but I just want to bring it up. Like, wow. Like, our end of your list might look quite different or include movies that are different than what many critics, if we include movies that came out in like January, February, March of this year. So, um, just a, Dude, just if a you weird had put thing. a gun to my head and said, tell me the year that Judas and the black Messiah came out, <laughs> I would not have said this year. Well, I'm also going to put uh, this out there yeah. is that like, uh, and I've been encouraging you guys to get on Letterboxd. None of you are listening to me because you guys have other things to do. I'm, I'm on it. I also, yeah, have other things to do. Yeah, well, I just, just don't it, like listening to you. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, 100%. I mean, just as a way of logging movie activity, it is so useful because I can literally press a button and now I've seen, like, I have a list of every single movie I've seen in 2021. And there are movies on there that surprise me. For instance, for instance, The White Tiger. Do you guys remember that movie? Oh, Pretty yeah. Movie. I, I love that movie. Yeah. That it's came good. out in th- this year. No. I remember that. Yes. Yeah. That's that movie impossible. came out this year. Yeah. yeah. 
And so there's, that movie. there's other movies that, you know, uh, I'll, we'll talk about later that came out this year that I'm like, oh, yeah, this, this is a contender for my top movies of the year. Ugh. So anyway, we're cramming in a bunch of these movies. And so our what we've been watching are quite robust. Uh, let's talk about a movie I've been watching this week, The Harder They Fall. Yes. The Avengers recommendation. Uh, this movie kicks ass. It kicks ass. Really, I can't wait really to watch it. I'm excited yeah. to watch it. I'm going to watch it this week. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Play it, if it's play it loud, Jeff. Th- Just play it loud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be my top 10, but this movie is so, so fun. It's basically you have some of the best looking, coolest, most talented actors alive right now doing the most badass things imaginable. Uh, the action's awesome. Uh, the dialogue is super fun. It's like this great revenge story. It's awesome. And I, I had a great time with this movie. It's just, it's just, it's a blast. I, mm-hmm. I have not, not much more to just say about it than that. I do I, have yeah, a shout out also. to James Samuel, who, you know, is co-writer, the director of this movie. He, he is a, you know, artist. He's a musical artist in his own right, but he also uh, was instrumental in producing the soundtrack for this movie. And I'm listening to that a lot now too. And it's just really, it's a cohesive vision. That's what yes. this movie is. Like, it is the guy writing, the guy directing, the guy in charge of the music. Uh, it was also co-produced by Jay-Z, I believe, like the album. But it, it all just works so well together. And I was just so happy to see this. So, yeah. Also, I'm going to put this cool. out there. Uh, and sorry, Jeff, this is a, I, I don't consider this a spoiler, but you know, maybe take the headphones off for 10 seconds mm-hmm. if you don't want to know anything about it. But uh, the movie has a great opening. Great opening. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of movies they forget that these days. You know, they forget like a Kill Bill hey, level opening. We gotta yeah. we gotta grab the audience right from the top. And mm-hmm. this is a movie that knows how to grab the audience right from the top. So I appreciated that about it too. Um, this is also a movie, by the way, Devendra, where uh, I, I was like, oh man, like I'm watching it. I'm getting through it. I'm like, this is a four star movie. Uh, I'm really loving it. Really enjoying it. And then in the last thirty minutes, it became a four and a half star movie for me. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll just leave yeah. it. At, I'll leave it at that. So mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed it. It it might be my top ten. It might not. But it's it's a really really fun movie, and I recommend. It's kind it for, of locked into mine right now. I won't tell yeah, you where, yeah. but it's there. Yeah, totally understand that uh, completely. So speaking of uh, other movies I watched, uh, I had a chance to catch a movie called The Worst Person in the World. Um, now this is a movie I went to the theater a month ago to see Spencer and I saw a trailer for this movie. And so I thought to myself, Oh, this movie's going to be out like mm-hmm, in December, mm-hmm. it's going to be out real soon. Uh, no, I, it's, I think it's going to be playing at Sundance this year in January. And well, you I know, Dave, a- I, I saw a trailer six months ago for the new jackass movie. <laughs> it's still not out as far as I know. Apparently the worst person in the world is not going to be out until February of this year. And uh, so I will talk very lightly about it, but I'll just say that uh, I've been slogging through a bunch of links, a bunch of screener, a bunch of screener discs. I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to do that. And there are a bunch of movies I wasn't enjoying very much. You know, I wasn't enjoying um, a bunch of the movies I was watching. I found them to be depressing. I found them to be um, not name names. Name us some names. I can't. I don't want to. I don't want to. Because I <laughs> just don't, say the name, names of the movies you haven't enjoyed. <laughs> what's what's the f- harm in that? I, I guess because they're so small. You know, these movies are really small, and they're hard. Oh. It's hard for them to get out into the world in the first place. You know, so and I don't want to like, you know, but 
I'll you don't want to punch down, but it's not punching down. It, they're, they're movies in the marketplace. <laughs> if you didn't enjoy them, you can say you didn't enjoy them. It doesn't mean other people won't. Yeah. Okay. No, that's fair. Let's let's leave it at that. I'll say that a couple movies I watched um, were Memoria, uh, which is a movie that was made a little bit famous because of its innovative release strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there was a movie called All Light Everywhere that's a documentary yes. on Hulu right now. That I saw that. Yeah. You know, it's kind of interesting ideas, kind of some cool sequences, but it just wasn't working for me. So, you and know, there was, that that movie, that movie's a documentary about like the surveillance world we're living in. It got so many raves at Sundance, and I saw that thing back then. I was like, it's good, it's interesting. I do not know where where a lot of that huge huge praise is coming from, but it's probably worth watching if you're into that sort of thing. Yeah, it's all light everywhere. It's on Hulu. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not a bad film. It's just like it's it's a depressing movie and not one that was really resonating with me. Mm-hmm. And then I watched uh, three movies, basically the harder they fall drive my car and uh, the worst person in the world. And, and my love of cinema roared back to life you there know, you with, go. These, with these movies. And I really love the worst person in the world. It gave me a lot to think about um, a lot of great sequences. Uh, the, the basic sort of, I love you too, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, Jeff. Wow. Uh, it's If I could summarize it, I'm not even going to give you a sense of what the plot is. I'll just say it's basically like what happens after the romantic comedy is movie is over, mm-hmm. right? What happens after the relationship begins, you know, and what what is the hard work that happens? There's um, no place after. to watch that, this, that right now? That not right cool. now, but um, eventually, I believe at Sundance it'll be playing, and also in February there's going to be a theatrical release yeah. and video. Sundance is that, only so. like a month away too, yeah. and there will be digital really yeah. like there will be digital screenings. So keep an eye out for that. You can buy tickets and watch Sundance stuff at home. It's pretty cool. I did it last year. Yeah. So that's the worst person in the world. That's another movie I watched this week, and I really really enjoyed it. Um, that is what I have been watching this week. We'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Feels. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's more about what you don't feel. Things like stress, anxiety, and pain. For me, I've used CBD as a safe and natural way to just, you know, feel a little more calm during flights and during, you know, really busy, hectic days. Feels is one of the best CBD products I've found, and it's basically a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD that will help to keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle-free and delivered right to your door. CBD naturally helps to reduce things like stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. And best of all, there's no hangover or addiction. I found Feels to be really useful when I just feel a lot of my anxiety creeping up. To use it, you just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and you'll really feel a difference within a few minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is pretty important. And everyone's dose is different. Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help you guide your experience so you can find the best dose. Their customer service team is dedicated to making sure you get the best use of your CBD. Joining the Feels monthly membership makes your self-care easily. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime and it comes right in the mail. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping that's f-e-a-l-s dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping feels.com slash filmcast divinger hardware what have you been watching this week well this week i was in new york guys for the first time since i left uh so that was 
that was really nice. It was nice to return Yay. to New York City and just like feel the, the vibe and the vibrancy of the city again. And I knew I was back in New York because on my way there, I was like dealing with work stuff and, you know, just finishing up some things. I was like, wait a minute, licorice pizza is playing in New York and it's definitely not playing in Atlanta, not for a while. So as soon as I hit my cab, like as, the minute I got into my cab, I booked a ticket for licorice pizza at the uh, <laughs> at the landmark. Uh, it was a landmark sunshine. I think it's Angelica now. The Village Theater, which has this like really great movie palace room. So did my work. I'm a responsible guy. But at like uh, for like a 4:30 p.m. screening, uh, I went right there. Uh, I spent like an hour in my hotel room. Went right to that theater to see licorice pizza. And I was so hyped for it, guys. Like, I love Paul Thomas Anderson. I adore the Phantom Thread. I Uh-oh. was right there. I don't, like, you know, where for, don't uh, like where this is going. I don't like where this is going. What was the other movie? Inherent Vice. Uh, yeah. Licorice Pizza is fine. <laughs> That's how I feel. That's exactly how I feel. Perfectly wow. fine. Perfectly fine. Like, this is one of those movies that relies. I think your enjoyment of this movie really depends on how much you buy this, like, core love story, which... um. Which has, we'll its own, talk, has its, has its own, challenges. own issues. We'll, yeah. we'll talk about the problems of a 15-year-old boy da- like being in love with or dating, like technically dating a 25-year-old. I don't know what's happening. Um, <laughs> this movie, it's a lot of fun. I like these characters. And I think um, Elena Haim is, is really good as the lead girl, Alana. Uh, and Cooper Hoffman, certainly great as Gary. Like it, giving us that great Philip Seymour Hoffman like charm. But I, I don't know what this movie is. That's it's what series, I said. Wow. It's a series yeah. of disconnected sequences. And this guy, yep. I guess yep. uh, he's a child actor, but also he's a businessman. He's 15 years old. I don't I don't understand <laughs> anything about how this man, how this boy functions and how the world around him functions. Um, I just feel like Paul Thomas Anderson wanted to have a lark and he probably did like reliving maybe some of his, uh, his early childhood days. And I'm sure it was fun to make. There's some fun characters and some great sequences here, including kind of a hilarious one with Sean Penn. Um, and I have not great feelings about Sean Penn either. Um, but you know, it, it was a fun watch. I think I will enjoy watching this again, probably with my wife whenever she's into it, but yeah, it, it is a lot of nothing weirdly. Like if you're not into the romance, it doesn't really have much substance to offer you, I think. But I had a good time. That was fine. And you know what I did, guys? Um, I was getting out of this movie. And it was like, at that point, it was like 6 o'clock, 6.30. Um, I was like, man, I don't... My my cinema, my cinema meter was not filled enough by this movie. And then I thought to myself, hey, drive my car is playing in New York. It's not playing in many of their theaters. And so you got you got out of a two and a half hour movie, (laughs) two hours and 13 minutes. And you you said to yourself, you know what I need? I need something even longer than that. I need something even longer to really just like. (laughs) So then. No. So we should. So we should point out. So that's licorice pizza. You were okay on it. Okay. Ironically, I think I loved it the most out of the three of us. Oh, by and I far. I also have the most problems with it, right? Yeah, the most, I mean, listen, <laughs> yeah. all the problems you brought up are also uh, certainly there. I think yeah. the like weird racist caricature that this movie <laughs> I, uh, has, um, it's kind of inexcusable, I will say. Yeah. Good thing about yeah. New York City audiences. Nobody laughed. Yes! Nobody laughed. Well, Bravo. I will tell you, Dave, Bravo you've fucking been... fucking yeah. No joke. Yeah. I know no you've joke. been talking a lot about the, <laughs> the, the, the white people laughing at screenings, and I've seen your tweets about that. I will tell you, in my screening, which, granted, was a press screening, 
Uh, yeah. I, I, as a white person, was the only one to make any noise uh, after and that scene. Like, and when I, what, what happened was I went, what the fuck? Like, out loud. <laughs> I li- I'm not joking. I'm not exaggerating. I said, well, what Jeff, the fuck yeah. out loud. You've just yep. been upgraded to second worst person in the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I, it wasn't like, I wasn't doing it to make a statement. It was in an involuntary reaction <laughs> that yeah. came out of my mouth. So, so that's licorice pizza. You didn't like it very much. Now, it's fine. we should, it's we should fine. point out that basically... Uh, the New York Film Critics Circle this past week announced their their number one film of the year, best film of the year, was a movie called Drive My Car, which yes. is a movie that ninety nine percent of the American public has not seen. And I'm just like, ooh, that you know, it's on it's the, only it's in like ten cities right now. Yeah, it's very so limited it's a, release. Yeah, I'm, I'm for, you know my my reaction my reaction is twofold. Number one, bold choice. Bold you choice. know, you knew you New York film critics. You got to have your own special snowflake. Yeah, bold you know, is not the movie word. that no one's seen. <laughs> bold um, is not the word. <laughs> re- reaction two is uh, I have to see this movie now. Have uh, to see it, which yeah. is what I did and what Devendra did and also what Jeff did. This we all well, watched it. This we week. all watched well, it. Yeah, so yeah. here's what happened. Dave had seen that. Devendra saw the movie and Dave saw the Devendra saw the movie. Yes. So I got a phone call. Yes. <laughs> what day before yesterday saying Jeff. You have to watch this movie before we record. I, I, I called yeah. Jeff to pitch him on watching the movie. Yes, I, that is that is probably too far because what Drive My Car <laughs> is, and I just want to say let me let me start my story by the way because I got out of yeah. uh, Licorice Pizza and like maybe thirty minutes until the beginning of Drive My Car, uh-huh. and that's when I knew I was back in New York City, baby. I hopped on the subway. I like zoomed. I knew exactly where I was going. I went right down to the uh, to the film forum, which is just you know. It's not a long walk, but it's faster to like run through the subway. I grabbed a gyro, a lamb gyro, which I haven't had like a, a good New York one in a very long time, and went right into that oh, three hour yeah. movie. So, yeah. yeah. Davidra's De- reviews of these movies are more like, I'm back in New York, everybody. He's uh, well, you, That wasn't enough to really make me love licorice your, pizza, though. Your, well, so, that's true. That's a good point. Yeah. I, I wouldn't be more glowing about that, right? Like, oh, man, I'm in this beautiful movie palace that I haven't been in. Last time I was in that theater, I saw 2001 and 70 millimeter, you know, and that was a great experience. But yeah, Drive My Car. What is Drive My Car? It is a film by Ryosuke Hamaguchi. It is an adaptation of a Haruki Murakami short story. Um, I believe, yeah, it's the collection Men Without Women. Uh, I love Haruki Murakami, but as a as a writer, like he has certain shortcomings. His shortcomings mainly involve women and the interiority of women and story. You know, stories about like you know what women are actually feeling because so many of his uh, books and stories are about lost men, uh, kind of loner dudes. And I enjoy it on that level. Um, but this movie is fantastic. I was entranced for three hours. It is a it's a three hour long movie. Yeah, that's not, guy, exa- it's not an exaggeration. Yeah. It's actually three hours. <laughs> actually yeah. three hours long. There's no there's no like play around. Um, I won't spoil a very cool thing that happens. 40 minutes into this movie. Fucking but, blew uh, my mind. Blew, I clapped. Blew my I, mind. I clapped. I was like, this movie is so brave. I'm so yes, on for it. And yep. I, we it, all know exactly what you're talking about. Yep. It's yep. a movie about an actor and a playwright who um, loses his wife suddenly and is dealing with the grief of her loss uh, of losing her, but also with the knowledge that she was, uh, you know, she was not faithful to him and what that meant to him. It is such a beautifully human movie like i love it it feels like exactly what i love about murakami writing 
Uh, the last great adaptation was Burning, which we talked about. And that is also a very long movie about kind of a loner dude. Um, but also like had some great work with the, like it explored women really well too. Murakami has not been adapted very well, very often. There have been some like failed attempts over the past, like two decades. And it's really nice to see these films like actually kind of take form now. I absolutely love this, even though so much of the movie is just a guy or a, um, a young girl driving this guy's little red sob around Japan. It was intoxicating. I loved every scene of this movie. I would, as I was watching it though, I was like, I, I don't think I'll ever sell the guys on this movie. I was like, this is a me movie. This is entirely for me. How Nobody dare else you? will love it. How but dare you? Tell me what you guys all. thought. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I watched the movie. I thought it was incredible. Uh, and not only that, it was incredible in ways that I thought specifically we'd speak to Jeff Kanata, but mm-hmm. it's a three hour movie in a different, yep. in a non-English language. And so I'm like, this one needs a light touch with Jeff Kanata for me to convince him to watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I call up Jeff. I'm like, Jeff, I, I really think you should try it out. Maybe watch the first hour and see yeah. what you I think. I want you to drive my car, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> So I'm so curious what Jeff thought of it. Jeff, what did well, you think of Drive My Car? The, yeah, the experience I had was Dave going, you specifically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like I was thinking about you when I when I watched this yes. movie. So I I you know I started up, and oh, it's a it's a it's about a stage actor. Ah, I see why he thought of me. Mm-hmm. And then and then there's a scene where stage actor has serious eye problems. And then I was like, <laughs> oh no, is that what this movie is going to be about? <laughs> Is this guy's eye surgery or some shit? Uh, but no, it has nothing to do with his eye. Um, <laughs> it's symbolic. It's yeah. symbolic. But, yeah, but I, I really thought, oh, God, is this, <laughs> this is why? He, it's like, Jeff, I was thinking of you. Um, that's not a I, good sigh. I, <laughs> I have so much to say about this movie. Um First of all, it's it's three hours long, and I don't think it needs to be. Uh, but it does feel to me more like three episodes of prestige television mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. A, a film. Mm-hmm. And in that context, and I and I have to admit, I did not watch it in one sitting. How uh, dare you? I watched it in two sittings. Uh, it's very long, and it is very. Um meditative slow. It's and slow. slow yeah intentionally yeah. slow i mean it's literally like it's it's it, it feels a lot like a first assembly that you if you guys have ever seen first assemblies of movies that are often over three hours that you know get cut down to a minute 40 or an hour 45 um it, it just feels like they're the you know heads and tails of scenes haven't been cut yet it just stays on stuff really long mm-hmm. um and i understand that is to to a very intentional effect and uh, to create mood and, and, but in the context of it feeling more to me, like three episodes of TV, I loved the first episode, loved, Mm -hmm. loved the first episode. And I think the second two episodes, (laughs) the second two hours of this, there's a, there's one, there's a full hour of movie that happens where I was like, this Then the movie begins. Yes. (laughs) This is incredible. So the prologue I found to be riveting fascinating edge of my seat. Like I just love these people. I want to be with them all the time. And then I need you guys to explain to me why the second two hours of this movie needs to all be in the movie. Because Because that's the movie. Yeah, I know, but I don't, I don't, 
I don't it's think a it's a setup in the payoff entirely. And that's why it's three hours. I mean, we, we have yeah. to talk about yeah. it yeah. at some point, but I just, I don't think that it, it, it there's so much. Okay. Here's what I'll say macro. Uh, I connected very much to this movie as somebody who spent a lot of years of my life doing plays and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being passionate about that and living the life of a regional theater actor, you know, going to places and doing plays and coming home, um, but staying in that place for months at a time and being around all strangers and working on plays. I mean, so much of this movie is just people w working on plays. Uh, mm -hmm. And it actually affected me pretty deep. I mean, I haven't done a play since my first child was born. So it's been five years. And that's the longest stretch of my life since I was 16 uh, that wow. I haven't done a play. Um, and that's, it, it's it, it affected me emotionally. I mean, I miss, I miss the process. I love the work. I love mm -hmm. the, all the scenes of them sitting around a table and reading the text and getting on their feet. And like the process of putting a play on was mm -hmm. it, it it was moving to me and it was it was evocative and and it made me melancholy um it's not just any play it's Chekhov, right so yeah it's like that, i mean that alone him, is yeah we see, i mean deal. we see him do um we see him do uh waiting for Goddard and we see him do uh and then there's a lot of uncle vanya um mm -hmm. and of course and of course uncle vanya is a metaphor right it, it, it it's the, the plot of the thing is uncle vanya also and mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of like a thing within a thing. And there's a lot of Uncle Vanya in this movie. <laughs> there's a <laughs> lot of it. Oh, and the other thing is, that is exactly how I memorize my lines. Really? Like, that is the process that I used. I found I would that literally fascinating. record yeah. myself, in the, you know, in the old days on cassette. Mm -hmm. And uh, later on, you know, I do it uh, digitally. And I would record the entire play. And I would listen to the entire play and say my lines in the gaps. Um, and so, you know, it, it felt very personal, very personal, this movie. Um, but I just think the latter end of it is so stretched out and laborious and plodding and heavy. And there's so much just sort of like standing there thinking that I don't, I don't think helps the delivery of the movie for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I know you guys disagree. I mean, I don't, well, I, I, this is one of those movies too where I'm like, try to see it all at once. Like it needs to hit you all at once too. And there was something to being trapped in the theater, you know, with other people, uh, a lot of other people too. And I was really, the things that made me really glad about this trip to New York was seeing the amount of people just seeing like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to watch a three hour long, you know, Japanese movie set to light jazz, you know, about a car, uh, kind of about a car driving around Japan for three hours. And I'll happily do that on a Tuesday night. Um, but seeing it all together and the whole impact of the entire thing, I, I think really sells it. If you step away and you come back, like maybe you lose some of the magic. I don't know. Uh, one thing I'll mention here, and I found really fascinating, the uh, the stagings of Uncle Vanya that this, uh, this theater company was working on are in several languages too. And to me, that was a really interesting um, kind of look at like how this film is. It's, it's really a meditation on communication and how we talk to each other and how we relate to each other. So seeing, you know, something in several languages, like um, it was Japanese, 
there was a bit of Cantonese in there. There's Korean, uh, I think. Indonesian I, I don't think there was well. Cantonese like, in there. I think there yeah. was uh, Mandarin in there. Mandarin, um, Mandarin. Yeah, yeah, but and, and other languages which we won't mention right now. But mm-hmm. I think that uh, Jeff, I'm very grateful you gave it a shot. Hopefully, you felt like it was a. I had a, a decent chance of of getting this one right. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Of, I, I mean, like yeah. I said, I loved. I loved the first hour of this movie. I, I adore it, and I and I got a lot out of the the second two hours. I just, I. I don't understand why it needed to be this stretched out and why we needed to sort of settle in, why there need to be so many shots of just sort of quietly driving through tunnels. You know, it, it, it I, I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it, I, may, I, it, it may have been a factor of like me feeling the need to get through the movie in time mm-hmm. to talk about it, um, that I, I felt Im- impatient. So I'll, I'll cop to that if that's, you know, a contributing factor, but... Well, I appreciate you giving it a shot. I loved the movie. You know, I thought it was very, very powerful. And uh, for reasons that I, you know, maybe at one point if we talk about with spoilers, I can get into more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I did not feel like, uh, I did not feel that it was that drawn out. You know, yeah. I, 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 I did like not feel was, those three hours myself. Yeah, I did not yeah. feel, you know, I've, I watch movies way shorter than this that felt way longer, put it that way. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm sorry it didn't work for you. I'm glad you gave it a shot. I appreciate you giving it a shot. Mm-hmm. It's Absolutely. a movie that Devendra and I both loved. I, we think you should check it out. Um, if it's playing in your area and you're into this sort of thing, or just like, if you like Haruki Murakami, if you're a fan, I know so many people who love his novels. Yeah, this is definitely a good ad- adaptation to check out. The movie's name is Drive My Car. It's out in limited release right now. All right. And Devendra, uh, we also had the chance to check out The Matrix Awakens, the Unreal Engine 5 demo that's available on next-gen consoles. Well, right? I, I can talk about it. I haven't played it yet because it's oh, like you got to play download it, on my thing. I got to play it. But I oh, okay. listen, listen, just there, if you don't, this. so what this is, right? This is a tech demo of Unreal Engine 5 that's going to be on next-gen. It's available now for PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S. Um, but the entire thing is on, it's on YouTube. Too, so you can watch the uh, the 4K footage from IGN. I see. Yeah, I see. so you you can so still that, see. Is that how you experience happened. it? Is what you're saying? That's or? I watched it so far. It's yeah. still downloading on my Xbox because it's taken forever. But it is like, it is such a cool ver like it's a cool look at the next generation technology from from uh, from Unreal uh, Unreal Engine Five, and it's sort of like it's showing us the the extent to which uh, game engines have evolved. To the point where they can create like very realistic looking character models of uh, of Carrie Ann Moss and Keanu Reeves, um, kind of give you a game sequence that looks like the highway chase sequence from The Matrix Reloaded. Like uh, that, we will talk about that in the after dark about like what doesn't and does hold up in that movie. And I think a lot of the highway sequence does, uh, but it is shocking to me. Like, yeah, we we are at the point where you can legitimately try to recre- recreate something like that on your home game console in, so, in real time. In, in real time, real time yeah. it's it's beautiful. What did you guys think of this thing, Jeff? What did you think? Well, yeah, this was when when Dave said you have to uh, watch Drive My Car. I said you have to download. You, the you have to Awakening. watch something that is completely the opposite in tone yeah. and feel. Yes. Yes. Uh, <laughs> It, it's clear to me that we ain't seen nothing yet when it comes oh to uh, these these new boxes that are already over a year old. Um, Unreal Engine 5 is going to change everything. And the idea that we think think games have good graphics right now is laughable because we are about to experience 
near photorealism. And, and that, that my lifetime has gone from literally Pong and Pac-Man <laughs> to this yeah. in, in, yeah. in my lifetime is it's, it's hard for me to even wrap my head around um, mm-hmm. because it, it is, it is photorealism and it is a level of visual fidelity that is, is shocking. And I, I urge folks that have these new boxes. I know it's, it's kind of even hard to talk about because it's so hard to even get your hands on, on them mm-hmm. now, let alone affording them. But for those fortunate enough to have the boxes, uh, it, it, you download, it's free. Uh, the coolest thing is how interactive it is. They allow you to, to you know, toggle on and off you know, visualizations of the polygons. So you can actually see sort of under the hood of mm-hmm. what's being pushed. Um, and then you get to wander around the city and you, your mind immediately races to all of the kinds of experiences that we're going to have in the next five years on these things. It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's wild. It's yeah. wild. What a huge leap unreal engine five is going to be over four, which is already a very attractive looking thing. And where this, <laughs> we, even... we never talk about game engines enough, you know, guys, well, it's kind of well, the root of everything. I but, was just about to yeah. say, I, you know, it, it may even be more applicable to listeners of this podcast specifically, even mm-hmm. if you're not mm-hmm. interested in video games, because unreal engine five in particular is being groomed, not just to make video games mm-hmm. and digital entertainment, but as a production tool, you know, you've, you've, I'm sure everybody listening has heard about the Mandalorian using Unreal Engine to use visualization on their in their shooting process. That is a big part of what this engine is going to be used for in Hollywood. It is going to be used to make films and not just make films, but create in real time mm-hmm. a level of visual fidelity that they'll just be able to plug and play into the yeah. finished movie. There will be no post-processing, post-production on some of the background effects because the visuals will be good enough mm-hmm, to just mm-hmm. use in the movie. It's wild. It, it would basically save like hundreds, potentially thousands of hours of work, like human labor in yes. terms of like- And cost. Uh, and cost, but also, yeah, just the time to produce these things. You look at, when we talk about The Matrix Reloaded, so much of that work had to be done manually, you know, the yeah. CG work and whatnot. And to see some of that happen in this tech demo in real time, you know, that is the holy grail for a lot of VFX artists I've talked to. Um, if you're interested in this, by the way, check out Patrick Klepek's interview uh, over at Vice. Uh, he talked with um, one of the epic folks or one of the unreal folks behind this. And uh, that guy was the uh, was like one of the technical folks uh, working on the Matrix films, too like earlier. So he also worked on the matrix reloaded and there's just a lot of like fascinating things. We have come so far folks. It, so fast. it, it is so far so fast, even though it's been 20 years, it feels like I, I distinctly remember watching the matrix films and being like, you know, it looks okay. looks fine. Like it's not perfect, but we're getting there. And now it's like, yeah, we, we, we can get something close to that in a game engine. It's yeah, pretty in real time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the Matrix Awakens. It's also uh, an, an Unreal Engine 5 demo. It's uh, You can view it online on YouTube or you can download it on next-gen consoles. Uh, check it out to see uh, what the future might look like. And that is what Divinger Hardware has been watching this week. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, StoryWorth. This holiday season, if you want to give a gift to your loved ones that makes them feel special and unique, just like the relationship that you share with them. I cannot recommend StoryWorth higher. StoryWorth is an online service that helps you and your loved ones preserve precious memories and stories for years to come. 
It's a thoughtful and meaningful gift that connects you to those who matter most. I did this for both my mom and my dad, and it has been an incredible way for us to get closer together, for me to preserve stories and memories that my kids and my kids' kids are going to be able to look back on for years to come, for their whole lives. Every single week, StoryWorth emails your relative or your friend a thought-provoking question of your choice from their vast pool of possible options. Each unique prompt asks questions that you've never thought to ask, like, What's the bravest thing you've ever done in your life? Or if you could see into the future, what would you want to find out? I had so much fun reading the responses from my mom and dad every single week. And then after a year, StoryWorth compiles all of your loved ones' stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. Like I said, I'm going to give this to my kids so they know about their grandparents forever. No, in their grandparents' own words, things that they can remember. And reading the weekly stories, I felt even more connected with my, my mom and dad. And you will too, with your loved ones, no matter how near or far apart you are. With StoryWorth, I was giving the ones I love most a thoughtful, personal gift from my heart and preserving their memories and stories for years to come. You can too. Go to storyworth.com slash Slash Filmcast. Yes, I know we're not called that anymore, but it still works. Storyworth.com slash S-L-A-S-H-F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Save $10 on your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash slash Filmcast to save $10 on your first purchase. Jeff Kanata, take us through a few things you've been watching. Well, I uh, I want to shout out a, a show, uh, mostly because we haven't really talked about any holiday viewing. And quick caveat. Mm-hmm. I've heard you, everyone. I will watch 8-Bit Christmas. I've heard you. I, I'm getting so many recommendations for 8-Bit Christmas. I've heard you. I will watch it. Um, <laughs> but I, w- one holiday thing I did watch, which is sort of a subversive holiday thing, is a new series. Um, gosh, I forget the service that I watched this on now. Is it HBO Max? Can't remember. It's called Santa Inc., uh, this is a new show from Sarah Silverman and um, and Seth. Oh, this is the stop uh, stop motion. Yes, yes, um, uh, and it is foul mouthed, <laughs> R rated, hard R rated, but in the sort of Rankin and Bass style stop motion holiday animated, uh, you know, visual style. Uh, Seth Rogen, Seth Rogen and Sarah Silverman. I don't think I ever said his last name. Seth Rogen plays Santa Claus. Sarah Silverman plays a, an elf who, I guess in the, the fiction of this Santa Claus universe, uh, Santa Claus will sort of pass the torch to other Santa Clauses. There's been a bunch of Santa Clauses in the past and you know, sort of like the Santa Claus, I guess. But uh, uh, someone new becomes Santa Claus and there has never been a a woman who has taken the mantle and Sarah Silverman wants to be the first woman Santa Claus uh, and is pushing up against all of the, uh, all of the barriers that, that is caused. It is very, very postmodern, very, very funny, very scathing, very R rated. I mean, you see Santa do things that would make Santa roll over in his grave. Um, it is it, Santa's yeah. still alive, Jeff. I don't know if you're aware of this. Oh, <laughs> 
then he's rolling over in his aliveness. Um, it is, uh, it's, it's very funny though. I, I, I recommend it. Santa Inc. Uh, but be aware it's not one to put around on around the kids. Uh, all right. Santa Inc. I'm pretty sure it's on HBO max. The, right? the concept by the way, is that, you know, it's Santa Inc. is the name and it's the concept is that the, the Santa and the sort of Christmas, uh, North pole thing is a corporation a la Amazon. And it com- and it actively competes with Amazon for you know holiday uh, uh, gift giving uh, fulfillment that kind of thing. So it's very funny. It's very funny and very much a, a send up of our modern culture. Got it. That's Santa Inc. on HBO Max. Jeff, what else are you watching? Well, along with you guys, I've been trying to catch up on all the movies that should be in consideration for our top ten list, and I tweeted out to our lovely listeners. Uh, a question as to, you know, what movie, what's the best movie you watched this year that I have not seen? And I got a lot of recommendations of things that people know I have seen. People know I have seen them. Well, uh, maybe they just don't listen to the podcast they and know, or don't care. They know. Anyway, uh, no, there's, I got a lot of wonderful responses. Uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of movies that I already knew about, already seen, already was a fan of. Um, shocking number of people saying red notice, by the way, uh, <laughs> shocking. Are you sure they're not trolling you? No, yeah, they're absolutely I'm not. trolling you. I'm not. They, um, they have to be. Yeah, but they don't, what, they shouldn't I'm officially be in your life, disowning Jeff. you as listeners. Yeah. If you recommended red notice to Jeff, <laughs> there's a number of movies where I was like, I, I, is that a troll? Or is it? Cause people would present it in a way like, I know this sounds crazy, but, um, okay. I, I, I'm in disbelief. I, I, I'm like, um, my mind is reeling right now that some people actually recommended Red Notice, like legitimately. If, if that's true, I, I mean, if that's true, I maybe I missed the tone. E- tweets are easy to <laughs> misread, but uh, it was more than one person. I'll tell you that, David. Basically, these people must be rooted out and destroyed, is what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, Joe. Show yourself. Uh, well, <laughs> there was a movie, a number of movies, but one movie in particular that kept kept coming up over and over and over, and I had not seen, and so I remedied that and watched a film called Nine Days. Yes. Have I've you heard guys great seen things this? about this I movie. This. I really wanted yeah. to check it out. What did you yep. think of it, Jeff? I went into this not knowing anything about it. Um, Shocking, by the way. Shocking. Yes. I, blind, I blindly listened to it. You know, when you, you, you tweet out and you get enough responses back, there's certain like things that bubble up, right? There's certain like names that just are- yeah, Especially oh, if you're looking at the tweets, you know, not even fully in focus with your eyes, for instance. Exactly. Yes. You know? Thank you, David. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it bubbles up and it looks foggy and blurry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but if you see the same sequence of shapes enough- <laughs> Exactly. Then you focus your eyes. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Uh, it's a movie called Nine Days. Uh, this is a first-time filmmaker- and I was pretty well gobsmacked by this movie. Um, yeah, I, I mean, do you guys do you guys know the premise? I don't know uh, the vaguely, premise. Vaguely. I know it's like a yeah. sci-fi movie. It is you know, a sci-fi yeah. movie, mm-hmm. and it's you can interesting. Give away the, you can give away the premise. I'll take my headphones off for the premise. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, no, I don't even need to give away the premise. I, I, it is a science fiction premise. Um, very, very. Um, it is it is very, very sort of abstracted. It is not it's not realism, um, but a movie that affected me deeply. It's sort of about the biggest things. It, 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 um, man, it's hard to talk about without spoiling anything. But it, it meant a lot to me. It's funny that we're talking about this and Drive My Car in the same episode because mm. they both are sort of about um, 
being an actor <laughs> in, 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 a, in a lot of ways, um, which is a very personal thing for me. Um, but th this is, oh, I did not look up uh, his name. The actor who was in Black Panther and played the big uh, rival. Winston Duke? Yes, I believe that's Winston who it Duke. Is. Yes, yes, that's it. Yeah. He is incredible in this movie. Incredible. He deserves an Oscar nomination. Uh, I, yes, Winston Duke. I really hope he is recognized for this movie. It's probably a movie that will fly under most people's radar. Um, so I'm not sure it'll, it'll be a big enough film to, uh, to, you know, get non nominations for anything. Uh, Benedict Wong is also in this. I love Benedict Wong. Um, it's a very, very powerful movie. It is a movie very much, uh, you know, my kind of movie It's about people sitting in a room talking. Um, basically it's a prolonged job interview is, is, is basically the premise is a nine day job interview. Uh, very powerful. The last scene of this movie is one of the great scenes of the year, in my opinion. Uh, I was a quivering mess at the end of it, but not because it's sad, more because I was just so in awe of it. Hmm. Um, nine days. That's how recommend. I felt about uh, Drive My Car as well. Cool. So, yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to this. I understand that with Drive yeah. My Car. It just, I didn't. Yeah. No, no, I'm not, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm just kind of saying yeah. like, it sounds like this movie did for you what Drive My Car did not. Exactly, which, uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It really, really did. I think both both movies, the last moment is supposed to do the same thing and this movie did it better in my opinion. Mm. All right. Well, that is nine days and it's available via streaming. I assume you rented it, Jeff? I did, yeah. Six bucks on yeah. Amazon Prime, I think. It was uh, well worth it. Cool. And that is what we've been watching this week. All right, folks, let's do a few weekly plugs. Weekly plugs, the part of the show where we plug something else that we've been making. Uh, I had a chance to chat with friend of the show, Jeff Grubb, about Halo Infinite. Love Jeff. Game that I hung out with Jeff last night. Yes. Yay. He's in Denver like I am. We went to, we, we went to a uh, hockey game together. Great, great. Uh, Jeff is one of the smartest and also uh, most, I guess, uh, witty and cutting people in the entertainment industry who covers video games that I know. Also kind uh, and generous, as yes. I would add. Yeah. Just a great nice guy, guy and uh, film cast listener. And I had a chance to chat with him about Halo Infinite, a game that's very near and dear to my heart. Um, and that game launched this week. We talked about it on Culturally Relevant. Uh, check out our conversation there. We talked about basically like what we thought about the game overall and uh, and how we feel like it fits into Microsoft's overall strategy. I thought it was a great conversation. Again, culturally relevant where you can check that out. Devendra, your weekly plug. Oh, yeah, this week, um, you know, we were coming back after a bit of a break on the Engadget podcast, but uh, we talked about the best and worst in tech that we've experienced in 2021. So it's, it's a fun episode. Uh, some pretty notable highlights there. And I think uh, I think the down the worst options probably won't be too surprising. It was a fun chat. So go check that out. All right. That's the Engadget podcast. Jeff Kanata, your weekly plug. Uh, if you like limericks. I got limericks for sale. You can get a personalized limerick and it's the holiday season. So let me tell you, get your limerick order in early. I know it's going to be, it's, it's going to be the, the gift of the year is a personally crafted, personalized limerick from yours truly to your loved ones. Tell them that you care the best way 
with a limerick. And you can order those at cameo.com slash Jeff Canada. That's spelled with two N's and one T. Um, just check out the reviews. I get so many five-star reviews. People love them. You can get one for your loved ones. It's the best way to say happy holidays. All right. And those are our weekly plugs. A couple of other plugs I want to make. Um, again, this week on the Patreon After Dark, you can find our conversation about The Matrix Reloaded. We're going to have the revolutions next week. We also reviewed Arcane Season 1 last week. Patreon.com slash film podcast where you can find those exclusive After Dark episodes at the right tier. Uh, and if you don't have any money but still want to support us, it's very easy to do that. We never want you to donate if it in any way causes you any financial hardship. All you got to do is go to Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating, or a review for us. It just takes a few seconds. It really does help us out a lot. If you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you do one of those things. All right, that's it. Let's get to our review of West Side Story. Tonight, tonight, This is my first time in New York City. I want to be happy here. I want to make a life, a home. Are you ready? Tonight is about family. The first gringo boy who smiles at you. I never seen you before. I'm not Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm gonna think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend of That was from the trailer for West Side Story, the newest film by director Steven Spielberg. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. An adaptation of the 1957 musical, West Side Story explores forbidden love and the rivalry between the Jets and the Sharks, two teenage street gangs of different ethnic backgrounds, end quote. Now, I do want to call out, typically on the film cast, what we do is we have a little pre-spoiler section uh-huh. And then we have a spoiler bumper that's really well done by YouTuber Kyle Corwith. And then we have a post-spoiler section where we talk about spoilers. This is a musical that is over 50 years old. It is ba- it, There's a movie that's uh, 50 years old. And so... Maybe, maybe 50 years is the spoiler cutoff. <laughs> that's the know? cutoff. <laughs> you know, if we, if we spoil this one, where is the line? This is the line. It's 50 years. Yeah. No, but, but I think it is. it could be called a spoiler to reveal exactly how this new version changes and adapts uh, the original musical slash movie. So mm-hmm. we are going to be talking in depth about those things right from the top. There will be no spoiler section in this episode. So you should assume, uh, assume starting right now, we're going to be spoiling the 2021 West Side Story. No spoiler bumper this time. Um, here to put up with our uh, pedantry about that topic is <laughs> Caroline Sita, a film critic and the co-host of the Roll Calling podcast. That's R-O-L-E Calling podcast. Her work can also be seen at outlets such as AV Club, Polygon, and Fox Digital, along with many more. Caroline, welcome to the Filmcast for the very first time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm always here for pedantry about spoilers. 
Oh boy, you, you have <laughs> reached the right podcast. the right place, indeed. Welcome, welcome. So, uh, Caroline, you know, before we get into this movie, like, what has been your relationship with West Side Story? Is this a musical you've been a fan of in the past? And, you know, to walk us through your thoughts on uh, on how you felt this movie tackled the musical. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I should admit from the off that I am a born and bred theater kid, went to theater school for college. So uh, a big musical theater fan in West Side Story has always been like a real cornerstone for me. I watched the 1961 movie a ton growing up, listened to that soundtrack a lot. And I've seen it on stage a couple times, the, the you know stage musical as well. So I had very high expectations going into this one. And I think one thing I increasingly realize about movie musical adaptations is that it's it's almost hard for me to just watch them as movies. I had the same experience mm-hmm. with the In the Heights movie earlier this summer, but they really are. I watch them first and foremost, like as acts of adaptation. So mm-hmm. I am kind of glad we're getting into the spoiler stuff right away because I do think that where my mind kind of goes with this movie is the choices it makes that are different from both the the previous movie version and the stage version. Um, on the whole, I think I'm a little cooler on this than than the general consensus seems to be. I like, like coolly it. cool boy, yeah, like that kind of cool. Exactly. <laughs> Bring out the finger snaps. Uh, cool on this one. So there there are lots of things about it I loved. I think Ariana DeBose is giving the performance of the year. So good. I th- oh, man. think maybe my biggest holdup is that I didn't feel connected to the central romance, mm-hmm. which I think is a it's a big ask to not connect to that element of West Side Story. And, and it's a credit, I guess, to how good everything else is that I would still like recommend this one, even though I think that's a pretty major element that doesn't really work for me. Got it. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I think there's a full spectrum of West Side Story fandom on this podcast, right? So, Caroline, you're all, it was obviously very influential to you. Uh, I, I'm I consider West Side Story to be like a huge part, like a cornerstone of my development as a creator and an artist. Like, it's one of the first kind of musical slash movies I ever saw. I'm talking about the 1961 movie, and like, it really shaped how I think of what art can be you know mm-hmm. watching that west side mm-hmm. story i know i know it has a lot of problems uh <laughs> looking back on it today but there was i have like many fond memories of, of watching that movie um and kind of just being exposed to the idea of what a musical was and so i went into this movie with with a great deal of anticipation and um i i am looking forward to diving into kind of some of the specific adaptation choices they made uh later on in our conversation but first i want to talk with devendra hardawar who had never seen West Side Story until this movie? Is that right, Devendra? No, I mean, listen, I've seen, I've seen the some of the songs. I've seen, mm-hmm. you know, all the big things. They're in the zeitgeist. It's, you saw, you saw it on YouTube. Maybe you, maybe you saw a YouTube video or two of West Side Story, and yeah. you know, uh, sequences talked about when people talk about the original film version. So I know the songs. I know the Rita Moreno songs as well, too. So, so some of that stuff I get. But no, I've never watched the whole thing through because I'm I'm not a theater kid. I'm coming at this almost from zero. Uh, also from just never really being super interested in musicals. So I don't want to shit on an entire genre here. I just wanted to like, you know, approach this film, uh, Steven Spielberg finally getting to make the musical that he kind of always has wanted. Right. I think the closest we've gotten is the opening of Temple of Doom. So, yeah, I was excited for it from that aspect. And uh, you know what? I found this to be a pretty beautiful film. I think some of the set pieces are absolutely astounding. 
And I will reveal something to you guys that I don't think I've ever talked about here. Well, but, a horrifying uh, secret. A horrifying secret. I used to do modern dance. Oh, what? what? Yeah. I thought you were going to say you were a jet. <laughs> I was a, uh, yeah, no, no, no. I would I, never be a jet. I, I, when yeah. was this? Was this before we met? This is absolutely before you met. It was like it was like it was like middle school. Okay, it was, we met it was nothing. Twenty years ago. So we that met twenty was, years ago. Yeah, I had a whole other twenty years of life like before that, right? So. <laughs> yeah, if it was more than twenty years ago, you can't call it modern dance. It's true. <laughs> it was nineties modern dance. But anyway, I, I when I was doing martial arts, I was doing all sorts of other stuff, and I always I've always found. Uh, something really compelling and interesting about the movement of the human body. And that is what also really gets me into action movies and martial arts films too, because a lot of action sequences are basically beautifully choreographed dances. So it was also really cool to, you know, revisit the matrix reloaded this week and also see the Steven Spielberg thing with a, you know, highly choreographed movement as well. So I'm, I'm, I love that. I do, I do love like a good dance sequence. So I think some of the sequences in this movie just look incredible. Actually, every major dance sequence, anytime anybody's moving, and I love how um, it just feels like Spielberg is having fun in this movie, right? The opening shot is just this long, long take, like, um, you know, showing us kind of the destroyed West Side uh, going through the rubble. And then you see, <laughs> then you see um, some of the jets you know, uh, do their thing. And uh, then they just, it looks like a gang of, you know, just a gang of dudes. And then they just start like doing ballet movements, just <laughs> sweeping legs. Do, do, do like a, you know, some pirouettes over here. And it is- That first, um, that first yeah. sequence with like that chain link fence yes. and all that stuff, man, yes. it looks like it was taken right out of an Indiana Jones movie. It it does. It does. And you feel that too. I was like, oh, I, it is funny just to see like, oh yeah, this is definitely a Spielberg movie. Like the way the camera moves, the way shots are put together, the way people walking are, into their close-ups, yeah. you know, beautiful. Yeah. I just feel like, man, he is, he has had this in his head for years probably, you know, and I kind of love to see that put on screen. Uh, but here's my big takeaway. I think West Side Story as a story should probably die. Ooh. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think. I yeah, I, I think don't. We I don't should, disagree. Uh, I don't disagree. And yeah. I think like, one of the most like in the street, like in the middle of the street, in the middle of the street. <laughs> I think I want to be the one. I want, yeah, I want to be the one to shoot it in the middle of the street because um, <laughs> sometimes, guys, like we are, we are at this point. And I was really having this thought. I was watching this, you know, mm -hmm. this adaptation by Steven Spielberg of a fifty-plus-year-old movie of a much, much older musical, which has a lot of relevance today. It is actually, you know, uh, certainly when I heard of West Side Story as a kid, like. I have a lot of friends who are Puerto Rican, you know, and hearing this story that's about basically these two gangs is like as a, as a kid growing up in a city, you know, it seemed kind of interesting to me that, um, hey, a big Broadway musical would kind of explore that. Then I saw clips of the original movie. I was like, oh, man, so much brown face. So, so yeah. I don't I don't know what I'm going to get out of this. And certainly friends I know who are more theater theater kids um, never really leaned into the movie aside from, you know, the beauty of Rita Moreno and her being awesome in that. Um, that was a hard movie for my friends to watch. And I totally understand that. And what we have here is another adaptation, you know, another adaptation of a story that is very much about like um, the diversity of New York and, you know actual issues that happen too, like um, the setting of West Side Story, right? If uh, if you've ever been to New York, the neighborhood around Columbus Circle, which they show very clearly in this movie, um, that that was a thing. You know, things were bulldozed. Uh, people were shoved out of their homes. 
And everybody moved up, up and up and up to Washington Heights. And that leads us directly to In the Heights. And to have that movie, you know, have that adaptation also come this year. Uh, it was this year, right? Yeah, it was this yeah. year. Earlier this summer, um, yep. But I was like, you know what? Th- this is it. This is kind of where these are the kinds of stories we should be telling now. I don't quite know the value, especially of having, you know, some really talented white dudes, but still white dudes telling a story about Puerto Ricans versus a white gang. Um, I don't quite know what is being added here. And I think even the uh, the addition of having like, you know, an actual Latinx cast um, for for that side of the story, certainly a big improvement over the original film, but also these characters aren't great. These characters are kind of boring. I think the even even if the romance had worked for you, I think the story is kind of an example of everything I hate about certain melodramatic musicals. It's a bummer, dude. It kind of <laughs> everything kind of sucks. And then you walk away, you're like, man, these story, these songs and everything are so great at the beginning. Like I'm pumped up. I'm so jazzed. And by the end, it's just like, this sucks. <laughs> it's I a don't, bummer, man. It's why, a bummer. why am I telling? Yeah. Why are we telling the story in a certain sense? So anyway, I don't, I don't quite see the value of keeping to of us just like telling the story over and over again. Certainly see more value in something like in the Heights and yeah. having people tell their own stories, but I'm not going to dismiss the good work here. I think, um, especially the, the core cast, like Bernardo, the guy who plays Bernardo and uh, Ariana DeBose as Anita are astounding. So there's a lot of great stuff here. Yeah. I don't think this is a movie I will ever watch again in its entirety, but I certainly can't wait to like rewatch some of the great like dance sequences. Yeah. Uh, David Alvarez, by the way, plays Bernardo. Yes. Um, yes. And he's he's awesome in it. And the the cast overall is extraordinary, I think. Like just, really good. There's dozens mm-hmm. of people, many of whom except I don't recognize. Except for one. Right? I would say except oh, for yeah, one. Oh, yes. Oh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, um, we'll get to it. I think we but, all agree here. But yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I want to say, so I think it's a great point, Devendra, that basically this is an old and somewhat yeah. problematic musical. Let the uh, past die. <laughs> Let it die. And the whole time as I was watching it, I was like, why this movie? Why now? Right? Like, what what mm-hmm, is it about mm-hmm. this this uh, movie that made Steven Spielberg want yeah. to adapt the musical. And I don't know that I really found a good reason for it. You know, <laughs> he, at the end I mean, of the day, he is, he is he, an older man. He is what? 70 plus years old at this point, And he has loved this his entire yeah, life. Yeah. He's loved so, it his entire life. It's like a passion project it. for him. That's and he's it. like, I've always wanted to do it. Yeah. And, but, the, but beyond that, there's no reason why like this movie needs to enter the popular consciousness again. Mm-hmm. Um, and this particular story. And it actually, there is a piece over at New York times, uh, the website, called the, Gress- the Great West Side Story Debate. Sorry, I'm having a lot of difficulty with my words this morning. Um, okay. The Great West Side Story Debate, where they get, get a bunch of critics and people together to talk about, uh, you know, debate the merits of the musical and whether it should be a movie again. And there was a woman named uh, Karina Del Val Shorsky who said the following that I really resonated with. She said, quote, I'm not advocating for the wholesale erasure of West Side Story. I'm saying, (laughs) let's stop pouring literally hundreds of millions of dollars into propping up its relevance and let's stop minimizing its flaws, end quote. Which Mm -hmm. I was just like, that's that's exactly how I feel. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. let's forget we ever had West Side Story, but like, is there a reason we need to keep coming back to this story every 50 years or so? Yeah. Anyway, all that said, Jeff Kanata, very curious. What did you think of West Side Story? Well, Dave... (laughs) I guess you could say what I thought about West Side Story is best summed up in the form of a limerick. 
You know, maybe uh, maybe Caroline's not familiar with the whole Limerick thing. You know, maybe we should give her a little summary of what this oh, is. I was going to oh, say oh. I am because I listened to the one on the Tick Tick Boom episode. So you have oh. high standards to uh, to well, be here. I, no, I have to apologize. I, I I I hate putting people through this. It's not something I enjoy. It's not something the audience enjoys. Uh, this is a dictatorship, and Dave Chen yeah. rules with an iron fist. He mm-hmm. forces me. Mm-hmm. Under threat of eliminating the show altogether. This is uh, our gang he says like, uh, n- fight meetup. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta do yeah. 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 In yeah. order to be a part of the gang, I have to bring a knife to the fight. And the knife in this case is <laughs> sharp witted rhymes. This is the podcast equivalent of our rumble, as it were. You know? Yeah, indeed. Uh and you guys are lucky because uh I was working on a <laughs> a version of this limerick that uh was rhyming Ansel Elgort. So just be glad I didn't finish that one. I mean, I'm 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 bummed you didn't finish it. Now yeah, that know. would have been the true accomplishment. Well, did you, yeah. Did you find anything to rhyme with Elgort by any chance? Or I'm just bad curious. sport. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, smell wart. I don't know. Face, uh, face don't right. contort. Right. Face don't contort. How about that? <laughs> His face does here we not go. contort. Okay, go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. Here is here is the limerick. Yeah. I can't fault the cinema, excuse me, I can't fault the choreography or gorgeous cinematography. I like the songs, but it's way too long. This musical is just not for me. <laughs> wow. Pretty uh, pretty dismissive yeah. limerick there, Jeff. I'm sorry to hear it was not for you. Well, uh, you know, to answer the question you posed to everybody else, uh, of course, I am also a theater kid, uh, the, the BFA in, in theater. Uh, <laughs> and I like Devendra, have never actually seen West Side Story. I did. We've absorbed enough of it. We've absorbed it. I did (laughs) after college buy the original cast recording because I thought, well, I should probably learn some of these songs in case I have to go to an audition. (laughs) Right. Uh, right. And so I know all the songs. I, I, in fact, you know, got to a point where I could (laughs) audition with uh, some of them. Um, But I've never actually seen... The musical, I, as much of a theater kid as I am, I was not the musical theater kid. I, I've done a fair number of musicals, but I never, it was never my genre as a listener to the show already know. Um, uh, you know, I was much more in, into, uh, into, you know, straight theater and, 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 you know, uh, non-musical theater. And I always knew that West Side Story was loosely based on Romeo and Juliet. What I did not know until watching <laughs> this movie is that it is absolutely Romeo and Juliet. It Just is again, like yeah, beat for beat Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> where it's like, oh, that's literally the same. It's literally the same scene. The meeting at the dance. The instead of a uh, uh, a rhyming couplet that they do with each other, they do a duet. I mean, it is literally. Oh, that's the Tybalt character. Oh, that's the Mercutio character. Oh, that's the Benvolio character. It's it is very. Um, it is very much Romeo and Juliet to a T. And in fact, I couldn't help, as as beautiful as this movie is, it, it, the cinematography is gorgeous. Sumptuous. It looks incredible. Oh, sumptuous. Man. It looks yeah. like it was a film made very expensively in the 50s. And in mm-hmm. fact, uh, I couldn't help but be reminded of Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet, which is a movie uh, that made a huge impact on me. I guess, you know, this would be to me as West Side Story is to you, Dave, because, uh, you know, I... Um, had the pleasure of playing Romeo twice on stage and studied the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet a lot. Uh, and the way that movie is shot is, v- I, I can't, I, I would be shocked if 
Spielberg wouldn't cite it as a major influence mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. film because it is lit like that movie. It is shot like that movie. The 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 even the the angles of the uh, the balcony scene. You know, there's a balcony scene in West Side Story, mm-hmm. except it's on a uh, fire escape. You know, it's 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 the same movie, uh, but it's it, it's almost even blocked the same way as the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet. It is, cl- I I believe, there's probably a lot of homage there. Uh, and so that was something that I, w- I was struck by, but ultimately I agree that uh, our lead character uh, uh, guy is not n- not yeah. charming enough for me to be drawn into this romance. I think you have to really want these two to be together, and that's not achieved sufficiently <laughs> for my money. I did see this movie with my wife, and I... Walked out of there and went, oh, that guy, well, no charm, Joe, right? And she's like, she's like, uh, no, no, I, I actually kind of think yeah. he was great. So she's I like, he tall, I love it. Yeah, yeah. He, I said, you weren't, you weren't into that guy, right? I was like, it was, it was boring. No, 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 I was like, it was like no. watching paint dry. And she's like, no, no he's kind of, he kind of worked for me. And I was like, oh, so may, maybe that is a, uh, you know, that is a, a difference between uh, perspectives on on that one. It made you it made you question like, wait, if she's into that guy, yeah. then yeah. what else is she? What? How questionable how, is her other taste? How boring know? is my face? That's <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, really very cruel. A- Ansel Elgort, I think I think he he does the uh, the songs very well. I think he sings very well. It just I just did not get any chemistry between them. And I felt like he. Uh, he, he did not bring a, a an urgency to that role that I think it would need. Mm-hmm, it, it just mm-hmm. feels like there's a ticking clock on their lives that um, I never bought into. Uh, but there's a lot. There's a lot here to like. There's a lot because it is very long. <laughs> uh, but it is <laughs> it is a it is a pretty movie. I think the songs are beautiful. It is just so not my jam. It's just not a movie that I mean. You know, halfway. Through, I don't. I, like, I don't feel bad now, Jeff, that yeah. a theater, actual theater kid, also feels <laughs> yeah. so good. But good. I was never a musical guy. You know, that's uh-huh. never my jam, and I've said it many times on the show. But it, it, it's, I think it's a beautiful piece of art. Uh, but it is, it's not really for me. I mean, I had, yeah. I had fun. Like the Officer Crumpy song is super fun. Like the choreography of it's. There's a lot of really good stuff, stuff to pluck out of it and go. Wow, this is. It's super well made. It is beautiful it, it does seem to be a labor of love but not for me we should point out that Ansel Elgort has been accused of uh sexually assaulting somebody and oh boy uh, i didn't hear this been, one uh, so yeah. okay that's been the source of uh, a lot of controversy online and if if people find that that is a reason for them to like reason enough to not watch this movie or not consider it then i think that's mm-hmm. completely understandable that said uh um, we are you know Evaluating the movie itself, Caroline, I'm curious what you think about Ansel Elgort's performance, because I think for me and Devendra, certainly, and possibly Jeff, he's kind of the weak link in the cast. Mm. Uh, oh, for sure. I'm curious yeah. like, what you think of it. Yes, I will totally agree with that. I will also just quickly add, Vulture actually has a really good article sort of laying out the timeline of the accusations against Elgort. So if anybody wants to look more into that, that would be a source I would point you to. Um, in terms really of glad perf- I didn't rest the whole limerick on that dude. <laughs> yes, truly. Now that I know that, sorry, go ahead, yep. Caroline. Uh, in terms of the performance, I think 
the big weakness is that he like he sounds okay when he's singing. I think sometimes he sounds really mm. good. He he yeah, doesn't sound yeah. Broadway ready. Like when he would mm-hmm. sing with Rachel Zegler, I was like, oh yeah, that's what singing is supposed to sound like. There's but, a huge quality gap in their yes. du- in their duets. Oh man, for sure. But I think the bigger problem is he really cannot act while singing. Right, like mm-hmm. he can act mm-hmm. during the the acting scenes and sing during the singing scenes, but a musical, ideally, you should do both of those things. And I think that a song like Maria, which is really like almost the whole relationship hangs on you believing how much Tony is feeling this like impossible love for Maria that he literally needs to walk through the streets and like shout her name in song. It, it just came across so flat. And I think with a romance that is operating like well outside of the realm of realism, like you really mm-hmm. have to believe, you just have to immediately invest in these two people being in love, even though realistically, you know, they've they've talked for 20 minutes or something. And so I think that he struggled to get that sort of like heightened quality. And I also think his accent choice, the sort of like, I'm a New Yorker guy was <laughs> questionable. I actually think that kind of extends to all of the Jets as well. Sometimes they were mm-hmm. giving me big like Newsies vibes. You guys are familiar There's, with uh, talked up here all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Everything was placed really nasally. Yeah. His, yeah. Uh, the, the other Jet co-founder, the like really skinny dude. Um, Mike I can just never, yeah, I can never take him seriously just because really? he's like, yeah. I he, he's he good. Incri- I thought this was a star-making turn for him. As a he, singer yeah. and as a dancer, I think he's incredible. As an actor, with the him like trying to convey the mm-hmm. sense of like authority he's supposed to have, I, I didn't buy that. Yeah. I well, I, one one of the things that I think is kind of weird about this movie is the ages of the characters. Like these are all theoretically high school students, right? Um, mm-hmm, and because mm-hmm. they're at this dance at the local gym or whatever, and um, Rachel Zegler is twenty years old and. Ansel Elgort is 27 years old and that just to me like part of I think believing that these people would do these extremely stupid things is believing that they are like children basically <laughs> exactly and yeah. um it's they definitely got it better than they did in the original movie where like some of those people look like they're in their 40s you know <laughs> um but it it still kind of didn't feel like quite the right mix of ages to me for me to really believe that these people would do these extremely this stupid is something things, you know? dave can never get over this is a, <laughs> this is this is a bugaboo for dave that is yeah. you, you refuse to suspend your disbelief on age it's i mean it's rough too because like rachel ziggler looks very very young yeah she, she looks she like she a looks teenager like she's, she, yeah she looks well, yeah. she yeah. also would have been yeah. because they shot this like so long ago because yeah, right. it was delayed like mm-hmm. i think she was literally 17 when she was cast in 18 when yeah. they filmed it yeah. Man. So, any, I'm just saying, if if it was like if the ages had nothing to do with like whatever the actual plot was, then you know it's all fi- it's all fine. But like these people, you need to believe that you know we we've all had like we've all fallen in love in high school and like sure. done stupid shit, and you kind of need to believe that that is possible for these people. But it's like, wait a second, don't they understand? <laughs> like they're they're in their mid twenties and doing this extremely dumb <laughs> shit. You know, like it just it doesn't make as much sense. And and on that note, I think. One of the things that really bothered me, so it sounds like overall on this podcast, we're a little bit cooler on this movie than what I see the overwhelmingly vast majority of response to be, which is like very positive. Mm-hmm. One of the things that kind of bothered me about this movie is how violent it is, like how brutally violent mm-hmm. it is, because uh, in the 1961 film, all the violence is highly stylized, right? Like it's, uh, you know- Dance it's, fighting. It's, yeah, it's just plain old fighting. But here it's like- 
Steven Spielberg really brought his, brought his Saving Private Ryan sensibility to this, in my opinion. <laughs> I mean, the violence yeah. is brutal, in my it's, opinion. Uh, just, it's like, rough. Yeah. It, it doesn't jive well with... We're watching these people, like, you know, pirouette through the streets, like, five seconds, and now they're, like, knifing each other. You know, it just doesn't... To me, mm-hmm. I felt like trying to make the violence supernaturalistic and real didn't work. Um, Jeff, it sounds like you have a response to this. <laughs> I think you're overstating it to say yeah. it's saving yes. Private Ryan as... <laughs> I mean, that would have been more interesting. Let's leave some seen limbs that movie, here, When but... Riff brought out the Gatling gun, that's yeah. what I was yeah. like. I don't remember when uh, when Tony is looking for his arm on the <laughs> on the streets of <laughs> of New York City. He's looking for his metaphorical arm, though. <laughs> so, but uh, it sounds it sounds like I, I agree. The Saving Private Ryan is a little bit of an exaggeration, but I do think it's it's I do think it's quite violent and, and more more violent than I than I thought it would be. More, more I, I, I didn't think in terms of the actual physical violence, but there the the scene at the end where everyone's like surrounding Anita, and it's like, oh, this is this is a sexual yes. assault scene, and mm-hmm. it felt fucking brutal. Like, yeah, I, no, that scene I is very hard disgusted. to watch. Yes. It's, yeah, it's hard to watch. It's terrifying. And and on that note, by the way, uh, this musical—I'm sorry, this movie—makes a decision that the musical also makes, but mm-hmm. that the 1961 movie didn't make. Caroline, keep me honest here, mm-hmm. but it puts the um, Maria performance of "I Feel Pretty" after Tony murders. Uh, Maria's brother. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. which, wild. It, it just makes it seem like it, it's like it seems like a psychotic decision, mm-hmm. tone wise. <laughs> so that's from the stage show. I actually yeah. also feel feel like it's a very bizarre <laughs> choice. I think a lot of the 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 subtle changes in the structure of the show that the 1961 movie makes, I think, are really good. And and the 2021 movie keeps some of them, but changes others. And I feel pretty is traditionally like the second act opener. So you get the rumble as your act one, right. you know, climax. Mm. And it's like, okay, let's welcome you back in with something lighter. But I mean, here, find it, it happens like seconds apart and right. you just watch this guy get murdered. And then <laughs> seconds later, it's like, I feel pretty. I'm like, what the heck am I yeah. watching? What yeah. is that? You know? there, there's well, there's the, a lot of that here too. Yeah. Like, go, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say that juxtaposition though is, is, is jarring. I think mm-hmm. intentionally, I think yeah, you are yeah. supposed to, she, we are reminded of what she does not know of the sort of the looming, uh, tragedy that's, that's coming down the pike. And, you know, this, you know, Davinci, you called it a bummer. It, it is a tragedy, right? It's a tragedy. That's, it, it, yeah. it is a, it is a, a, a piece of fiction about how love mm-hmm. cannot conquer mm-hmm. the, uh, climate in which it blossoms right it, now, it is don't get don't get me wrong i love a good tragedy like i love <laughs> seeing characters who are well written and well drawn and who you actually care about kind of like yeah things don't work out and it breaks your heart uh th- i do think there's a difference between like that and like melodramatic tragedy where it's like oh well they're dead now and <laughs> because this person said this this person's gonna die now and no one's gonna be happy like everyone's dying all around us and it's like i don't i don't care after a certain point, you know? Uh, let's talk about some of the other changes that this movie made to uh, the stage show and or the uh, musical. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, the 1961 film. Caroline, I'm curious, like, were there any things about this version of the movie where you felt like, oh, wow, that's a, a significant improvement or anything that you felt like, uh, I wish they hadn't made that change? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the biggest thing all, of all, and this ties back into the idea of it being a tragedy, is that I think traditionally West Side Story is like a tragic melodrama in that very like Romeo and Juliet sense Mm -hmm. where it's very like it is romantic and innocent until all of a sudden like things get really really bad and I think one of the it's like subtle but one of the biggest tonal shifts that this new version makes is to me it felt like a 
a tragedy in like the Greek tragedy sense where it's mm-hmm. all just like these inevitable giant, this like giant weight that's hanging over everyone from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So it's not like, oh, everything felt like kids playing at being a gang. And then, oh my God, all of a sudden her friends are dead. This is like from that opening scene, you're like, oh yeah, people are going to die. Like someone has a yeah. <laughs> reference to violence again. Somebody has like a nail through their ear. Like this is like, things are going to get bad. And in this version, Tony is, has is this new sort of tragic backstory where he was in jail for a while because he almost beat someone to death. And that sort of hangs over him in a way that then makes him killing Bernardo, like, again, inevitable as opposed yeah, to like, yeah. oh, my God, this innocent guy who was just wanted to be in love has committed murder. And I don't think that's a bad choice at all. Like, I think it's kind of an interesting thing to do with the with the material if you want to, you know, try to bring something new to it. And they, I think they kind of mirror that in the like a lot, you know, all those big scenes that like where it's like the jets walking in this way and the and the sharks in the other and it's an overhead shot and their shadows are like huge. Like that feels very like, oh, we're staging some like Greek Coliseum. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that felt production. like Pierce Spielberg too, of just mm-hmm. like, man, how 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 can I own this frame? And I feel like through so many of those sequences, he's just like, yeah, I I have dreamed of this my entire life. And this is what I'm watching. I watched on RPX and it was just like, not quite IMAX, but a beautiful big screen. It's like, it, it at least felt good to see on a big screen. Yeah, I feel like that really sold a lot of what worked well in this movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's operating at the top of his game, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't said how much I love the choreography and how the, so good. the musicals are shot. So good. The musical numbers are shot. I mean, uh, the scene where Maria and Tony first meet, I'm just like, this is pure cinema. You know, this <laughs> is when you see them kind of isolated through lighting and focus and costume design. It's just like, and they see each other from across the gym and they're like in the foreground and the dancers are in the background, like moving left and right rapid. It's just like, I mean, it's incredible. exactly what Boz Lerman did. <laughs> but, yes. But yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's exactly, it plays Thank exactly you, the same. Thank yeah. you. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, you're, you're talking about the Romeo and Juliet film, right? R and J. Yeah. 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 The, the best adaptation ever made. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. The uh, but the other thing, I agree with you, Caroline, that like one of the things this movie does is it it does make the story even more tragic than either the film or the stage show, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it is what you said with the Tony backstory. There's like this kind of inevitability. This inescapability he can't es- mm-hmm. he cannot escape his yeah. real self right like that's not really a, a component of any of the previous versions we've seen yeah uh, another portion you know the original movie and stage show did deal with issues of race and class but i think they're amped up a notch in this movie where the pointlessness of all of their activities is doubled down upon right it's like all you know cory stoll's character says at the beginning like all this is gonna be rubble you know like you're fighting over nothing you know and that mm-hmm, wasn't mm-hmm. really nailed like they didn't really emphasize that as much in the previous versions i've seen now you really sense the pointlessness and the desperation of what these people's situation is is they're fighting over nothing and it's pointless um which i don't think was as much uh emphasized right so uh, and I think I, I don't think it's a bad choice. I think it's like, wow, this really gives a lot more pathos to yeah, what's yeah. going on. So I, I think specifically around Tony's character, it gave the level of pathos that Anton Elgort didn't quite give that role. You <laughs> mm-hmm. know? Like I, I felt for I felt more for him. I had heard about this character before and like how he's just, hey, nice guy, you know, in a bad situation. And this is more like definitely tragic in a very like meaningful sense. It's kind of like a mm-hmm. rest development like him. You know, kind him, of him, her. Yeah. On on that note, by the way, like the decision for uh, Maria and Tony to have sex 
after Psychotic. he's murdered her brother? Psychotic. It yeah. just doesn't. Isn't that always there though? I feel yeah, like that's, that's in the sixty-one there. version too. I think that's. Mm-hmm. I think I mean, that's true, but it's explicit. But but, but because it's also guess, in Romeo and Juliet. It's, yeah, it's true, <laughs> true. It's true. And because of how violent it is, I don't. I don't know. I guess it just it just struck me as weirder in this version. It sounds like I have a lot of hangups that you don't, Jeff. Is kind of what I'm. And, well, and I just I, that particular <laughs> scene is weird. Like it certainly. Did, yes. Did you not think that Juliet. was weird, Jeff? Did you not think that was weird that they had I, sex I, after the murder? I mean, I think it's it's you know it's the lark not it's the nightingale not the lark it's the same mm-hmm. scene. for me i couldn't like get out of the structure in which this sure, thing was sure. was being mm-hmm. shoehorned mm-hmm. <clears throat> excuse me um but yeah i mean it, it it is weird but i think that's the whole point is that like mm-hmm. their love is supposed to be so transcendent that it, it, it is, it, they're just trying to fit it into this very short time period that mm-hmm. they're both going to be alive. The, the, I mean, we're in super spoilers t- town now, yeah. but the, the biggest place that West Side Story departs from Romeo and Juliet is that it lets Juliet live. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? she does not die at the end. Right, which is, I think, I think a pretty big deal. And yeah. uh, what, I, what a I, life. She has lost her brother, the love of her life, uh, her friends around her because of this betrayal. Uh, yeah, yeah I'm not saying she's happy, you know, yeah, go, yeah. <laughs> going off yeah. into the sunset triumphantly. But it's a happy ending. Yeah. No, it's no, a happy it, ending, baby. But it, it's still interesting <laughs> that, you know, it, it is what everyone knows about Romeo and Juliet, right? Is it's a double suicide. It's it's the su- mm-hmm. suicidal lovers, right? It's it's we die because we can't be together. And to not do that with the with one half of that relationship is a pretty bold mm-hmm. sh- departure. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, one I found pretty interesting, having not really known that that's the way the musical has been for fifty years. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so Caroline, innovative. Yeah. Caroline, there's a couple of other changes uh, that yeah, the movie makes that them. are pretty interesting, actually. Um, one of them is that uh, what is that song with when they're fighting over the gun? Cool. Right? Uh, cool. Right. That that's the first time I've seen that song rendered in that mm-hmm. way before, right? Like beautifully it's never, staged too. Yes. Yeah. It's Amazing. not like they're fighting over a gun or anything like that in the stage show, as far as I can recall. I was um, absolutely losing my mind. I can't like, there is such a weird phenomenon for knowing these musicals so well that I can yeah. only compare to like, like truly watching cool felt to me like in Avengers Endgame when like Cap picks up Thor's hammer. Like that was my <laughs> yeah. personal experience with this number. The entire, the entire theater goes, whoa. <laughs> I was like, it's hap- what's happening? Like I've never. Because um, it's, cool it's is so a number... like different than how yeah. that song so has been different. portrayed in the past. And uh-huh. I think. It's a I transgression, really... right? It's it's <laughs> like, yes, the, Captain America is not supposed to be able to right. pick that up. Yeah. yeah, Cool is not supposed to be about them fighting over the gun. Yeah, what? yeah. Well, and cool for me is always a number that's felt like the show never quite knows what to do in the the original stage musical. It comes in act one and it's all the the Jets being like, hey, we're going to be cool tonight at the Rumble. And then the movie's like, well, that didn't really make sense. So let's put it in act two. And it's going to be like they're all panicking after everybody's dead. So they're telling themselves to cool down. And in both cases, it just felt like. Jerome Robbins was like, I want to do some dancing. So we're going to have a big dance number kind of for no like narrative (laughs) reason. And so to see this movie say like, hey, this song doesn't work. What if we just make it entirely different and we give it a narrative and character purpose that is like interrogating Tony and Riff's friendship and this like conflict they're having, like we'll put that in song, which is what a musical should do. And we will dramatize it through this dance over a gun like mm-hmm. it, it felt revelatory to me and i'm just i that it was honestly probably my favorite part of the movie just because it, it was it, such a surprise it is a it is an amazing thing where they take this song that obviously people know for decades 
and they just I don't think they changed many of the lyrics, but they completely recontextualized it in a way mm-hmm. that made it better, you know, and that's just really impressive. The, st- um, the staging too, it's it's in an alley and then there's like a boardwalk thing, oh, yeah. you know, with the holes and it's just like that is that that's action choreography, yeah, right? That is like what John cool, Woo does so when he speak. walks yeah. into a room and like tries to set up a giant shootout and just like seeing all those pieces fall into place. So like, I, I just sat back. It was like, uh, my boy Spielberg is going to knock this one out. And <laughs> I he know. did. It was yeah. but also, it, was it also, yeah. there, there's this danger. You're just, you're dancing mm-hmm. with a gun yeah. you know, over, over this, giant holes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> this like looming danger that this gun is going to go off. It's such a, it's such a cool way to heighten the tension of that scene. I agree. Uh, it, super yeah. cool, super cool, super cool. Uh, sequence in the movie. Uh, now, there is a sequence that I feel much more torn about, which is uh, they obviously changed the context of Doc's shop in this, right? So mm-hmm. in the original story, there's a character named Doc, and he's the one that owned the shop. In this one, uh, it's, it's Doc's wife. Doc is dead, apparently. And it's Doc's wife, played by Rita Moreno, who manages the shop. Yeah, right? Rita Moreno, who's part of the original 1961 movie, and she is the one who sings the iconic song somewhere, instead of the actors in the uh, main romance of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I was stunned that they gave this song to her. I know she sings it in the trailer, but I didn't know that they would actually follow through with it mm-hmm. in the film. Caroline, curious what you thought of that change. Yeah, I think I liked it. I think it, again, because the romance wasn't really working for me in a way, like if Tony and Maria had just started singing a romantic song there, I almost would have bought it less. That said, I think that what you really lose here is maybe the most moving part of the traditional West Side Story, which is Maria doing the reprise of Somewhere while Mm -hmm. Tony's dying. I think they have her reprise tonight instead. And I actually think that was a case where they really overthought it. They were like, oh, well, she didn't sing it before, so she can't reprise it here. It's like, dude, it's a musical. It doesn't need to be logical. <laughs> she can reprise a song that someone else was singing because I think she it's, didn't hear it. it's much more powerful yeah. to I have that, her sort yeah. of be like, you know, hold mm-hmm. my hand and I'm going to take you somewhere safe as opposed to just like, oh, tonight we're going to hang out is like a less meaningful. <laughs> that would have been you know, amazing. Sentiment. That's a really incredible idea to have her reprise the song that Mar- Rita Marino sang. It would have been so powerful i think to echo that and recontextualize it right yeah. because i mean i guess re- reprising it at all is recontextualizing it but i think even more so because when rita marino sings it in the film it ceases to be about the romance it becomes about the place it becomes mm-hmm. this, this it's, it's like very conceptual right about like yeah somewhere a, there's a place where we all can get along basically it's a rumination right? on yeah. the circumstances yeah uh, of of all of the people in the in the film rather than these two particular lovers and i think it would have been a really powerful thing to then ha- give it to a different character i think it's a really awesome idea and i wish spielberg maybe they did think of it but it would have been awesome to see that yeah so i, I don't know I, I i to this moment i still am not quite sure how i feel about it but i'm you know they're clearly like, we're taking big swings in this movie and i do appreciate that right they're, they're taking chances with some of these uh, iconic and beloved songs and i'm not sure if that decision quite worked for me but because uh, well, you... i think it would have been nice to hear them sing that song you know it would have been nice to hear them sing it and and it would have added something to the, i think their relationship in the movie but yeah jeff go ahead what are you gonna say? don't you think that in a lot of ways, it, it's a an expression. Giving it to Rita Moreno is an expression of Spielberg's reverence, mm-hmm. and it's sort of a it's sort of a gift to her, and a, kind of a gift to himself, and maybe a gift to the audience to 
allow this woman to sing this song that she is so known for. You know, it's it's a meta moment, right? That I think he's trying to give to give to cinema to say, hey, I'm gonna let this woman who has performed this part so often and sung this song so many times and is so part of the culture around this musical now to reflect and sing it in a different way. And I thought hearing the words come out of her mouth with the gravitas of age and experience uh, was was pretty powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does she play the character who sings the song in the original? I don't... She's no, Anita. She no, am I wrong about that? Role. Yeah. yeah, she plays uh, Anita. So forgive it's me. Not her. I, I, yes. I, that's what Everything I was else you said was right, though, Jeff. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the point still stands about it yes. sort of being a an homage to the original movie in general, like as a whole, and her yes. being one of the most iconic parts of that. Yes, clearly resonates. she's gone on to have like a very, you know, beloved, she's a very beloved character figure. And, um, and that was one of the, her star making roles. And so the, the idea of her coming back to this and then performing one of the iconic songs, even though she didn't perform it in the original, I, I agree. There is like kind of this, this, uh, the weight of time you feel on that performance. So mm-hmm. I, I do think there's something lovely about it. Um, but I, I think in the context of the film, the only thing that doesn't work about it is that she's, she, uh, her character is a little bit underdeveloped, probably because she doesn't exist in the original one, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah. I—that's th- the only kind of issue—is you have this this character kind of come out of nowhere at the end and perform this extremely um, important uh, and mm-hmm. beloved song. Uh, but yeah, I, I, so you can tell I'm like I'm like mixed about it, you know. I'm, I'm not like it was a total disaster or anything, but I'm yeah. not like I loved it. It was awesome, you know. So one thing we didn't bring up, by the way, which I think is probably worth talking about. This movie is about a race war. (laughs) And we are talking about this in 2021, where that is very much a thing happening in many places. Like it is a reality for us now too. And certainly like as this, as a musical was originally made and the, the original film was done, like it was a major element of that story too, but it does feel weird. It does feel very weird to be um, just seeing this kind of drawn out in what's supposed to be a pretty, romantic film i think and uh i i heard more slurs directed towards puerto ricans in this movie than i have in a very long time Mm. and that's the sort of thing too that makes me just kind of ponder things because my wife is puerto rican my daughter is puerto rican and she loves like my daughter she's three years old now and she's gonna she loves like music she loves uh theatrical performances like when we show things to her on tv it's only gonna be a matter of time until she wants to start checking out stuff like this that just feels weird. And I don't, my wife has never seen it either. She is a Puerto Rican from New York, a New York Rican. And I, I don't know how she'll react to all that too, because it, it's, it's not the thing you're looking to see when you're going out for, you know, a joyful time at the movies and mm-hmm. it's weird. Yeah. I, I would agree in the sense that because the musical kind of has this fairly simplistic vision, right. Of, mm-hmm. of racial dynamics, uh, you know, like love is good and and should triumph, but it doesn't because the world is evil. And uh, I feel like the, the the movie had to do more to justify why it's retelling this old story. And I don't yep. know that it yep. went that far, right? Like, yep. what what are you illuminating about our modern condition by retelling this? Is what I think a movie like this needs to be able to answer that question. And I don't I don't feel like it it answered it unfortunately. Um, and so I I, I kind of agree that like. If you're gonna put this imagery out there, I'm not opposed to it. Like, if you want to make a point about it, I, I think that's fine. But I don't know that the movie really does that beyond 
the point that was made 50, 60 years ago. Or the way he know? handles slurs. Like to me, that is the main thing. Like maybe, maybe once or twice, but it is all over the place here. I'm like, man, it's been a while since I've heard that word thrown about so readily. It's mm-hmm. uh yeah, are we watching a Tarantino movie here or something? Yeah. There's a couple of other sort of um interesting changes that the movie makes kind of to adjust to the modern world. Um, one of them is that the character of uh, anybody's is uh, trans in this movie, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it is such a point of contention actually that uh, there are certain countries that will not play this movie because uh, they, Steven Spielberg and you know, the studio will not edit that character out. Which is very upsetting that like they just, just like they don't want a a trans character to exist in the movie. Otherwise, mm. they will not show it. Um, it's an upsetting reality that we live in right now. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is also there is the song America. I believe they changed some of the lyrics in that song, if I'm not mistaken. It is a I really think. good staging of that song. Oh, because the, the, uh, the number yeah. is incredible. The dancing is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think they changed the lyrics to be slightly less offensive, if I recall correctly. I, I, I would hope so. Because yeah. like, yeah, that original song, Rita Moreno does great work with that, right? Yes. That's uh, that's her. And uh, yeah, here it's just like, I think this uh, this actress sold it a lot more. Ariana DeBose, I want to see her in everything. She is just on fire in this movie. And also the combo of her and David Alvarez are just like, that is, I'm glad I sat through this two and a half hour long movie uh, just to see them kind of on fire. I believe Ariana DeBose is also in Schmigadoon, if I'm not mm-hmm, mistaken. She was. She was yeah. amazing in that as well. So and the prom, I think we're... if anybody saw that fairly <laughs> uneven <laughs> Netflix movie musical. No. Uh, Apple TV Plus, please, Caroline. Apple oh, yes, 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 yes. So yeah. she was in Schmigadoon and now she's in Schmesbleid Schmori? <laughs> wow. Well said, Jeff. Well said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, I have a lot of affection for this musical. I, I actually quite enjoyed the movie overall. There were just a few things that really just hit me kind of weirdly about it. And those are the things I've tried to identify. Caroline, anything else about the movie that uh, you feel we haven't covered yet on this conversation? Well, I kind of feel like the the best and the worst thing about West Side Story is that like all the characters are very archetypal, right? Mm-hmm, and it's, I think mm-hmm. it's one thing, it, having archetypal white characters sort of doesn't matter because obviously there's just so many white characters in fiction. So it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like you're reducing anything. And I think some of the tension that exists in West Side Story is that it's a, it's just a different, there's different context around having archetypal Puerto Rican characters because we have so much less Puerto Rican representation. So I think that that's always something to be aware of. One thing I do appreciate, though, is that I think that this movie does purposely try to just root us more in the Puerto Rican perspective. And I, I didn't really kind of realize that until I went back and watched the 61 version after I saw this new one. But we just get more scenes of like Anita and Bernardo and Maria hanging out and we just have a little more context for their lives and and just little moments like they aren't even really dialogue scenes always, but just following Anita to the morgue to identify Bernardo's body and not sort of just having mm-hmm. all of that happen off screen, but sort of... Mm letting Ariana DeBose like play that whole arc out, I think was actually like really impactful. And I'm really glad that that was a, like a shift they made. And the same with like, yep. the, I've, I've never come away from a West side story being like, Oh, what a great Chino that was, you know, like that's usually such a nothing mm. role. And I, and I feel like this movie actually like had a wildly compelling Chino, the <laughs> yes. sort of like, Maria's like, guy. you know, yeah. agreed. A great, great edition of Chino. And also I think, Bernardo gets the whole uh, boxing backstory, right? In this mm-hmm. in this version, right? That doesn't he doesn't have in the original, as far as I can recall. 
So, yeah, correct. So the, the yeah, they do flesh out these characters a lot more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not, it's cool. It's, it's, it's an, as you said, Caroline, watching this, it's, you're, you're watching it as an adaptation. Yeah. And I really think they made a lot of interesting and good choices here, you know, mm-hmm. overall. Um, at the end of the day, it sounds like you, you weren't <laughs> still super hot on it though. Like, like at the end of the day, like kind of, how would you describe your, your feelings toward it? The movie? It's definitely one I'm excited to see again. Like I'm never going to be mad about sitting in a theater and hearing, the Leonard Bernstein score. Like that will just always be a joy for me. So I'm excited to rewatch. I actually think if anything, I I expect I might like it more on a rewatch when I'm less like, Oh my God, what are they doing with cool? What mm-hmm, are they doing with mm-hmm. officer Crumpke? What's what's <laughs> happening here? I think. By, by the way, I started to interrupt, but I love the officer Krupke. It's number so fun. And like, the the conception of it as them slowly destroying the police station, I just thought it was really well done. So yes. also that actor who pops up in so many things, uh, Brian Darcy James. Yeah, Brian Darcy James. Classic I, I think whenever whenever theater. he pops up, like I'm like, okay, I'm, we're we're gonna have a fun time. I we saw didn't, Brian Darcy James on stage as Shrek, and I just felt like that was important information to share. With Incredible! You. Incredible! Yeah. Like a he's legend, one of the reporters in Spotlight, right? If I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> love his face. Um, one thing I just want to point out: I I really love the way Spielberg shot and directed most of these dance numbers. Like they are wide shots. The takes go on for a while. Yes. Every time a character did the goddamn like seven twenty degree spin and just like landed oh right back God. on their feet and Unreal. just like in in pose, like the sheer articulation, the ability to like the the uh, control of your body to do that well, just incredible and it, this movie does it several times so when i say i'm looking forward to rewatching these musical numbers i am genuinely you know looking forward to that and my wife hasn't seen this movie yet so yeah you know, uh, i'd be interested to see what she says but i just want to point out like this is shoot the musical shoot the people moving and shoot the action this way too because it makes all the difference a lot of a lot of wide shots too you know i didn't feel mm-hmm. there was a lot of cutting but it didn't feel too much to me i felt like i could understand where these characters were in relationship yep. to each other yep. and also appreciate how challenging what they're doing was you know and that's mm-hmm. uh, many musicals like look at chicago compare this to like chicago and the movie and you'll see that that movie, in my opinion, is like edited to shreds. Just yep. like a, a lot of, a lot of cuts, uh, not as many wide shots. Shots, and you can tell Spielberg really wanted the work that these choreographers and these actors uh, were doing to shine. So, mm-hmm. anyway, Caroline, I think we kind of derailed you there a little bit at the end, but um, oh no, I mean it's per- a perfect transition because I was going to say one of the real highlights for me is the choreography. Justin Peck is the name of the choreographer, and I thought. Just like everything he did in terms of like reinterpreting the Jerome Robbins original choreography, but putting a new spin on it. And like truly the dancing was unreal. Like just again, see this movie alone for the mm-hmm. the score and the dancing. Like every time David Alvarez would just leap into the air, it was like I love it. It was like watching the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park or something. You're just like, how is this happening on screen? <laughs> Spielberg used all of his experience shooting exactly. dinosaurs. <laughs> Uh, I have a question for you, Caroline, uh, mm-hmm. since you're here and uh, clearly I think of the, of the four of us, by far the the biggest musical fan. In a year where we have West Side Story, In the Heights, Tick, Tick, Boom, Come From Away, uh, Dear Evan Dear Hansen, Evan Hansen mm. uh, what is your favorite musical? I mean, I may be even forgetting one or two. Uh, what is your favorite movie musical of 2021? 
I know. I mean, this has been a question that has been heavy on my mind. Like every day I wake up and I'm like, as I'm starting to put together best of list, I'm like, which one, which one should go on the list? There's also, I will shout out, there's that Cyrano adaptation with uh, Peter Dinklage is randomly a musical. I still have yet to see Annette. Those are two other ones that are out there. I and, did uh, love Cinderella on. Uh, oh, yeah. And Cinderella. Yeah. Very good call. Um, I, I did love the come from away. Like it's a, it's a filmed version of a stage play the way they did Hamilton. And that's another Apple plus thing. Um, but that I would almost, that I thought was fantastic, but I would almost put it in its own category. I sort of want to say that maybe tick, tick, boom is my favorite, but I also feel kind of insane saying that because it also, it feels like the smallest and like, yeah, the scrappy little indie version, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yet somehow, and again, maybe it's because, you know, in the Heights and West Side Story, I feel like to me, at least they're like sort of perfect stage shows. So when they're, Mm -hmm. they're, when they're adapted in some way, I'm like, processing that whereas tick tick boom i think is an okay stage show that then became like a really cool movie and that there's like a joy in that to me that's different than seeing these maybe shows that feel more complete readapted i kind of like seeing this scrappy little weird show reimagined for the screen yeah when we reviewed tick tick boom a few weeks ago uh that was that was my big takeaway too is that in contrast to all the movie musicals this year that felt like oh, it's interesting to see how they took this thing that belongs on a stage and mm-hmm. made it in a, into a movie. Tick, Tick, Boom felt to me like, wow, I have a hard time imagining how this would be on a stage. Like it, it felt like a movie first, even though it clearly was not. Um, but I, I, I kind of rank them very similar to how you do it, which surprises me because I, for me, Come From Away is, is, is the best of, of the bunch. And then, mm. uh, and then Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, and then a wide margin below between that and the rest of the field. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone then in my, I was like feeling like <laughs> this is such a strange take. No, not at all. I don't think it's strange at all. I personally would put West Side Story probably at number one, just because the craft is just so incredible and, uh, probably Tick, Tick, Boom after that. But yeah, I, uh, it, it, maybe in this conversation, it doesn't sound like I would put this as number one, yeah. but no but love it, in the Heights, guys. Wow. I'm well, just, I was going to say, I do really like In the Heights, too. It's just, I don't know. It's so hard. I just love the In the Heights stage show so much mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. it's hard for I hear me that. to. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, folks, it's pretty impressive that Steven Spielberg made a movie, especially one that he's been wanting to make for apparently 70 years. <laughs> um, but uh, this not is the that first long. time that that sounds weird. Yeah. It's impressive that Steven Spielberg made a yeah, movie. Yeah, actually, you know what? It's not impressive. It's not impressive because he's made so many he movies. He can make a movie whenever he damn well <laughs> he can pleases. Make a movie. He can snap his fingers and make a movie if he wanted to. So actually, forget about that. Um, but uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from Varsity Blue, the newest project by Tim McEwen of The Midnight. Um, our spoiler rubber typically comes from Kyle Corwith. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross. This episode was edited by Baby Zhang. If you want to support this podcast, go to patreon.com slash film podcast. Stick around to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Caroline, it's been such a pleasure. Uh, in addition to your podcast role calling, uh, anywhere else where you want to point people to? Yeah, you can just find me on Twitter. I'm at Caroline Sita, sometimes tweeting about superheroes, sometimes doing deep dive analysis of musical theater. You never know what you're going to get with me. It's like a box of chocolates. Um, exactly. You can check her out on Twitter. S-I-E-D-E is how you spell her last name. Uh, Caroline, it has been a pleasure. Uh, next week on the podcast, we are going to be discussing Spider-Man No Way Home. Spider-Man Mr. No Mr. Way Spider-Man. Home. Good, good Spider-Man's. Yeah. Yeah, and and if everything goes according to plan, which I don't trust because of how difficult it has been to schedule this episode, 
then patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast will probably get to hear our review early. Um, so if you are not a patron, uh, yeah. head on Come over to patreon.com slash film podcast and you can hear our Spider-Man review earlier than we release it on the main feed. Hope you have a chance to check it out. Uh, looking forward to diving into it with you guys. Uh, we will see you next week. parts o'reilly auto parts has parts need them fast we've got fast no matter what you need we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it product availability just one part that makes o'reilly stand apart the professional parts people oh 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 o'reilly